Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. The Jewish Encyclopedia tells us in 1905, it is a somewhat curious sequel to the attempt to set up a Catholic competitor to the Rothschilds, that at the present time the latter of the guardians of the papal treasure. The use of the word guardians obviously implies the Rothschilds do not personally own that wealth, but are merely keepers of it. Mayor Amschel Rothschild, with his access to Hess Hanover's vast wealth, and conceivably that of the Jesuits as well, had power to effect a credit reduction in British banking. Notice that Mayor Rothschild, the founder of the banking dynasty, was always making use of someone else's money. Knight of Malta, Rothschild was merely under orders of the Jesuit general. During the spring of 1772, the circumspect young Jesuit professor, John Carroll, conveyed to the powerful young Jewish banker, Mayor Amschel Rothschild, Lorenzo Rishi's need for financial disturbance in England and America. Lorenzo Rishi, of course, being the superior general of the Jesuit order, otherwise known as the Black Pope at the time, continuing, didn't John Carroll admirably serve his superior general, his church, and his country? And didn't Rothschild do his client likewise? Here we have a Rothschild meeting with a Jesuit professor, and no doubt covertly doing the work of the Jesuit order. We've already established that much of Mayor Rothschild's finance was not personally his. He was merely a keeper of imperial and Jesuit wealth. Bill Hughes tells us in his book, The Secret Terrorists. The Rothschilds were Jesuits who used their Jewish background as a facade to cover the sinister activities. The Jesuits, working through Rothschild and financier Nicholas Biddle, sought to gain control of the banking system of the United States. How many times in history have we seen the Jesuits covertly working through some group or another? What would indicate the Rothschilds are any different? You can pause the video and read each one of these quotes for yourself. You can pause the video and read each one of these quotes for yourself. However, there is simply no denying the fact that the Jesuits of Rome had the satanic hands all over Mayor Rothschild, the founder of the banking dynasty. There is no denying that much of his so-called wealth was not even his personal wealth but rather he was entrusted with the wealth as a guardian. This knight of Malta would have five sons who continued the legacy of being subordinate to the papacy, evident by the rewards and knighthoods 
All evidence points to the fact the Rothschild family being the court Jews that they are merely bankers for the Jesuits. This video should hopefully answer the question of who is really controlling the world. The quite laughable suggestion that the Rothschilds are running the world is lunacy. A few minutes of research shows who is really running the show, of course. The superior general of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. What is my evidence for these claims? The founder of the Rothschild dynasty. Mayor Amschel Rothschild is the definition of a Hofjuden, a papal court Jew. It is a fact that Mayor Amschel Rothschild was a crown agent of the Holy Roman Empire, having been granted this position in 1800 by the Emperor. Rome was running the world before the Rothschild came along. What on earth would make you think they aren't running it now, Mayor Rothschild? This Sabbatian Frankist Hofjuden, this court Jew, had five sons, like father, like son. For these Rothschild sons were Hofjudens, Amschel and Selmayr, his first son, who remained in Germany, was a knight of Malta. Nathan Rothschild, who went to England, was a high Freemason. He was a member of the Freemasonic Emulation Lodge of Improvement in London. His brother, Jacob Mayer Rothschild, was also a member of this Masonic Lodge in London. Jacob Mayer Rothschild was also a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Mason in Paris. As we should know by now, Freemasonry is Jesuit controlled at the highest levels. Unsurprisingly, Karl Mayer von Rothschild, who was sent to Naples, was also a papal knight. This Jesuit foot soldier was a knight of the sacred military Constantinian Order of St. George, an even more powerful knighthood than the sovereign military order of Malta. In 1822, all Rothschild brothers were made barons of the Holy Roman Empire by Francis II. Are we starting to get the picture here? The Rothschild family are bankers of the papacy. How laughable to suggest that they control the world. They are merely knights and barons of Rome, nothing more than guardians of the Vatican's and Jesuits' vast imperial wealth. The current head of the family, Jacob Rothschild, is a knight of the British Empire, who knighted this Hofjuden. Why? None other than Dame of Malta, Queen Elizabeth II. The same Queen Elizabeth who is subordinate to the Pope and the Jesuit superior general. It should be becoming very clear to see that the Rothschild family cannot possibly run the world. It is quite frankly, utterly bizarre to claim otherwise. There is simply no supporting evidence. Isn't it funny how we hear so much about these half-Judans, yet never hear about other families? such as the Orsini and Aldo Brandini families, yet they are far more powerful. The Queen is subordinate to the Lord Mayor of the City of London Corporation, the Square Mile. The City of London is till this day 
controlled by the Jesuits of Rome, via the control of the Sovereign Order of Malta, who took control from the Knights Templars. As Dame of Malta, the Queen is subordinate to Rome, so are the Rothschilds. A banking dynasty started by a Hofjuden, crown agent of Rome, Mayor Rothschild in Frankfurt. These Sabbatan Frankists are powerful, but certainly not what they are made out to be. We need to stop looking at these Masonic Knights and start looking at the Jesuits of Rome. Rome has always, always, put Hofjuden traitor Jews in front, while the Jesuits remain unseen. David D. Rothschild was on Alex Jones' show, nothing more really needs to be said. Do you think you would ever see the Grand Master of the Knights of Malta on the Alex Jones show? Do you think you would ever see the powerful Archbishop of New York on that show? Keep in mind the Archbishop of New York is head of the American Knights of Malta. Do you think you would ever see the head of Georgetown University on Alex's show? Or perhaps the Grand Master of the Sacred Military Constantinian Order of St. George? Of course not, never in a thousand years would they be on his show, yet we have David D. Rothschild on his show, how ridiculous and laughable, it is hard to understand the insanity of the fascination with the Rothschild family, seems like there are 150 videos on the Rothschilds for every one on the Jesuits, the absolute lunacy of the situation is striking. So much attention on Jesuit bankers. No attention on the real puppet masters, the Jesuits of Rome. Hopefully, this video has enlightened you on the real controllers behind the Rothschild family. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe to this channel for more videos. This is Barry Chambers, um, my usual Tuesday night show, and a little background, our guest tonight is going to be Eric John Phelps, and, uh, well, his focus is certainly on the Jesuits, but before I knew him, and I have met Eric uh, a couple times, once in Israel, uh, once in California, and, well, I wrote about the Oslo deal, the Oslo Accord, the peace in the Middle East, and I found something very unusual about it. Apparently, uh, that peace was, uh, with the Vatican was being negotiated at the exact same time and was signed at the exact same moment, uh, and lo and behold, there was a, a plan uh, by today's president, Shimon Peres, uh, to give the Vatican hegemony uh, over East Jerusalem. Uh, this was an actual signed plan, and within their sovereign uh, district, they'll give the PLO a capital. And uh, that's my introduction. Um, without knowing about uh, uh, Eric Phelps' uh, research, I stumbled upon this uh, very significant development. Eric, are you there? Yes, I am, Barry. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Uh, the engineer might turn up your sound a bit. How's this? Is this better? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on your program. My pleasure.
Pleasure to meet you. I remember our, <laughs> remember our fun we had there in uh, Israel going fishing. And, I had uh, a good fish at the end of the day. Yeah, you and your son outfished me, and I was heartbroken for the rest of my trip. Well, we got to start going into uh, uh, the issues. You wrote me, uh, because I wrote an article, um, uh, uh, well, it was really a review of a book, um, uh, Solving 9-11. You know, Christopher Bowen, let's put it this way. It was a claim that the Zionists were behind 9/11, and uh, my, you know, my retaliation was, uh, which Zionists? Uh, let's go into this right now. Uh, let's start with, um, let's let's start about this attack. Uh, who, uh, who ordered it? Uh, what was it done for? Let's sort this thing out. What else? Yep, 9-11, the attack was carried out by the intelligence community of this country, overseen by Knight of Malta, George J. Tenet, who was being directed by his immediate master and overseer of the American branch of the Knight of Malta in New York City, Edward Cardinal Egan. Edward Cardinal Egan was a mastermind and the overseer of the entire thing, and he was being guided and overseen by the Jesuits of Fordham University in the Bronx. Wherever there's a major archbishop, there's always a Jesuit university, a Jesuit military fortress nearby. And so they oversaw it. Well, why, why bring down 9-11 and the Pentagon, for that matter? Uh, why this attack? Because they wanted to foment a crusade, the 12th Crusade in the Middle East, for the purpose of for the purpose of urban renewal in Iraq to the end that they will rebuild, they will, they will create a new Sunni caliphate, and this new Sunni caliphate will be the precursor for the rebuilding of Babylon, which must be rebuilt according to Jeremiah, according to the book of Ezekiel, and according to Revelation 18. So these are uh, very Christian beliefs. Well, you can call them Hebrew beliefs because it's Jeremiah 50 and 51 talks about this Babylon that rules the world and will ultimately be destroyed by fire. And remember that Babylon in the past has never been destroyed by fire, so it must be rebuilt so it can be destroyed by fire, according to Jeremiah 50. Well, putting it in a simpler language, uh, you're saying that 9-11, the attack was done so that America could go into uh, Iraq and pursue urban renewal. That's one of the reasons, and the other reason is to put this place here in the U.S. under a fascist military rule under the department of what I call the Department of Roland Security, as well as to foment a, the, the entire Muslim, Sunni Muslim world, a, a hatred for all Americans when America will be blamed for the destruction of the mosque in Arabia and in Jerusalem. Well, that's... Uh, let's put it this way, that's a, a bit in the future. Let's look at what we've got now. Uh, what you've got is an attack that almost everyone in this country believes was done by uh, Arab terrorists, Muslim terrorists. Uh, you don't have many people uh, who believe that the uh, Jesuits were behind it. But more to the point, and more worrisome for me, you have a few too many people um, Look, 
they get a piece of uh, information uh, and they they carry it to an extreme. Christopher Boland has, I don't know if he looked at a million news items until he got the ones he wanted, but I'll tell you, uh, the issue of the, the what he calls the Zionists, and what I'm trying to tell him, uh, the minority, maybe 10% of Zionism is labor Zionism, uh, but it controls it controls the security services of Israel. It controls the money of Israel. Sure. I think he was right. I think they were good and involved. Well, and no I wouldn't question. put it past them. No, no question they were involved. I mean, we know that the... Okay, uh, put it another way. He uh, says it was their idea unilaterally and exclusively. Right, he says it's exclusively. And this is typical rhetoric. Of the of the typical patriot movement in this country. Um, all right, I'm not all. There are plenty of patriot movements that are kicked off at, at the uh, Muslims who brought them down, but neither here nor there. It's not all that typical. Of, well, um, I, I find it to be typical. You have a, you have you have the spotlight. You have Liberty Lobby. You have these other. Broadcasters, Tex Mars, and a host of other. Oh, that Jews, is Jews, not. Jews. Uh, all right, okay. they're known. I mean, listen, you do spots like Tex Mars, you're you're heading for um, a well-known. They're outlets for anti-Semitism, straight out. And by the way, Boland did write for Spotlight, and oh, okay, very good. He's certainly of that camp. Michael Collins, Piper, all those guys at that camp. But what I'm trying to say is that the Muslims did not do this. The Muslims are innocent of 9-11. They were blamed for this. It was entirely a work of the intelligence community, of NSA, CIA, FBI, and the military intelligence. They had nothing to do with this. Nothing. Uh, who had nothing to do with it? The Muslims. All right. Um, I actually agree and taking the name Larry Silverstein into account, he bought, uh, he leased uh, the World Trade Center in, in July of 2001, and he insisted on a double indemnity if it, the place was destroyed by terrorism. He ends up picking up seven billion bucks, and listen, he had to have been inside this. Of that course, wasn't just of a course. Remember, the Jesuits were in New York City, and they handled the finances through the Knights of Malta running the big banks in New York City. Uh, the Knights, the Jesuit co-adjutors there in New York City, may, were setting this all up so they could blame the Jews. That's why they leased it to the Jew, Larry Silverstein. That's why they made sure that they had a recording of him say, well, let's pull it, building number seven. And that's well, why and they made sure he got paid. What's that? It's not like there's a recording. The building went down. He said, it's a video of him saying, we need to pull the building. Right. Now, so, uh, a thing like that, to pull a building in New York, uh, takes months of city council votes. Uh, it's, it's not a thing you can do because you feel like doing it. But the big issue was the building went down in a controlled demolition. No doubt. Total controlled demolition. But my point is that 
they now can blame the Jews for it because, oh, see, this Larry Silverstein, he's the one that got the money. He's the one that said pull building number seven. And those dancing Israelis out in New Jersey on the top of that car to get all this attention when the buildings come down. It's the Jews, Jews, Jews. This was all coordinated by the Jesuits using certain of their court Jews so the Jews could be blamed as the great beneficiaries of it. Well, they certainly look that way, don't they? Well, of course. This is, this is the modus operandi of the Jesuits. All right, let's stick with this thing for a while. Uh, first of all, about Building 7, uh, the reason they had to pull it, it, it was a uh, conspiracy had gone bad. Something happened to a plane over Pennsylvania that was supposed to hit Building 7 and bring it down. Uh, and they were stuck with a building and no plane. So they, you know, and fire marshals were snooping around already. So they had to bring it down to destroy the evidence. And by the way, that is so damn obvious to me. Of course. I, I have it on my 2011 TruthCon PowerPoint where they're, they're bringing it down in its footprints. It's obvious controlled demolition. And that was necessary because I think it was floor 23 that they had their operations room. They had to bring it all down. They no, it was necessary because United Airlines 93 didn't hit the building, and it was supposed to. Well, it was supposed to. It was supposed to go elsewhere. But, yeah, uh, straight into but, Building 47 uh, for for the Grand World Trade Center uh, spectacle. But something happened in the air. And it crashed uh, into, well, the crash itself is kind of weird, but neither here nor there, it didn't get to New York. Well, we differ on a couple minor points here, but the point is it was a controlled demolition. They brought the building down, and this further proves that the intelligence community and the government of this country did it, not the Muslims. Well, let's go backwards a second. First of all, um, Again, what I see is obvious logic uh, that the building uh, uh, didn't come down, so it had to come down. Uh, it wasn't to destroy whatever was in the building. It was to destroy the building with a plane. But neither here nor there, the fact of the matter is how the building went down. Uh, right. Well, it's just a giveaway. I mean, the whole thing is given away at this moment, and boy, oh boy, Silverstein panicked and brought the building down. That's he did not pretty... panic. This was all part of the script. This is what no, it wasn't. wasn't. That plane crashing the, into the rural Pennsylvania was not part of the script. Well, and what happened in rural Pennsylvania, it was a missile that landed in that hole. There was no evidence of an aircraft. There are no seats. There are no engines. Uh, in Pennsylvania, it was a missile. Well, it let's say it was. You still have a missing airline. Now, That's right. It, it, listen, uh, what they do, if the missile landed in the field, what do they do with the real airline? What they do with I, the I think Loose Change 2 addresses that pretty well, for those that haven't heard it. Seen well, it. I saw, I remember seeing the movie, and they saw the plane in St. Louis, and, and there were, uh, you know, very loose strands of evidence in Loose Change. Well, 
My point is, what happened in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, was not an airplane; it was a missile. What happened to the Pentagon was a missile. What happened to the two towers, the World Trade Center, were aircraft. They were military aircraft. Each aircraft had 15,000 gallons of fuel on it, which created that huge flame. So it was a huge black op carried out by the CIA and the NSA together so that they could justify a war into first Afghanistan and then to Iraq. Well, what happened to the real planes and the real passengers? I've heard stories like all the passengers were put on a specific airplane and this one particular airplane then they crashed it out in the ocean. I mean, who knows? But to me, it's irrelevant. What's relevant is this is obviously a, a, a black op. It's all controlled demolition. You watch the two towers come down. Series of explosions. It's just as phenomenal as the bringing down of the of the building number seven. It's all controlled demolition. And so if it's controlled demolition, the ones responsible for it are in the White House, are in this government. Uh, not necessarily the White House. There may be something above the White House. Why, of course. I mean, we know the intelligence community oversees the White House. We know the Jesuits run the White House from Georgetown University. Sure. All right. The second part, how do they run the White House from Georgetown University? Which, by the way, has a decent basketball team. Right, true. <laughs> uh, okay. The, the Je- Jesuit Georgetown University, Ge- Georgetown College, was erected in 1789 for the purpose of overseeing the capital once it would be moved from Philadelphia, Protestant Philadelphia, to Roman Catholic Washington, D.C. in 1801. So when that happened, the Jesuits now are in position to begin overseeing and, and directing, trying to direct policy of the executive mansion. But by 1900, by 1901, with Theodore Rex Roosevelt, they are completely in charge having assassinated Lincoln, assassinated Garfield, assassinated McKinley, and now they're going to charge. I mean, these are major claims that you're kind I of pro- I prove assuming we all agree with and tell something about. Well, I, should, I prove it in my book, so you need to get a copy of it. I'm my latest. In fact, I'll give you my third. Uh, you know, um, go ahead and do it now if you'd like. Okay. I will send it to you. So, but, uh, and tell, tell the listeners where to pick it up. Oh, oh, you can pick it up on my website, VaticanAssassins.org. Just go to the store. And for 45 uh, Federal Reserve notes, you can get a copy of my ebook, And uh, I think it will add to your collection of knowledge. Plus, I have a free CD therein where I have the 13 rare books on the Jesuits, which total 4,000 pages. So that's 4,000, and my book is 1836, so you have nearly 6,000 pages. That's a lot of reading about Jesuits. Now, let me... Uh just one point. Why would John Wilkes Booth, uh, who did, I believe, I mean, he was part of a conspiracy, and I think eight people were hanged. Now, why were they in any way involved with Jesuits? Because Abraham Lincoln wanted to restore the old union. He wanted to bring back the southern states on the same footing that they had left. That was a no-no. The Jesuits fomented the war to centralize power in Washington, D.C. So, and among other things, Lincoln did a few other things. He, um, well, uh, that's the most important one. 
And so because of this, the Jesuits, Lincoln had just been reelected, so he could have carried this out. The Jesuits decide to assassinate him, so they use John Wilkes Booth, who three weeks before the assassination, he was brought into the Roman Catholic Church, and his real overseer was John Surratt. And John Surratt was the overseer counting time outside of Fort Theater after Booth carried out the murder. But uh, John Surratt then escapes through Canada through the help of the priest. He goes to Liverpool, and he goes to the Vatican, and enters in the Pope's Slav Army. He's arrested in 1867. He's brought back. He stands trial. A Roman Catholic woman is on the jury. She hangs the jury. She finds him not guilty. He has another trial. He's only found not guilty. He dies in 1914, the head of a huge steamship uh, company in Baltimore. So John Surratt is the real villain behind this. Booth is just the open individual that's going to be blamed. But there was a huge conspiracy. Edwin N. Stanton oversaw it. Uh, it, Grant was involved, that's why he was out of town. The guy guarding Lincoln in the Secret Service there, he, he, he removes from his post so Booth can get in and shoot him. It was a huge conspiracy. Four people are hung, other four are sent to prison, and Booth escapes Washington and is supposedly shot, which he was not shot. So this whole entire scenario was carried out by the Jesuits, particularly Bernadine F. Wigan. Bernadine F. Wigan, the Jesuit at Georgetown University, he came to this country from Switzerland. And uh, they, after they got rid of Lincoln, then they were completely in the driver's seat in Washington. And well, the book, again, the book, uh, the book you want to get, the book you want to get is the suppressed truth about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln by Burkham Cardi, written in 1924, and uh, Charles Chinnicky's work, Fifty Years in the Church of Rome, and also Sherman's work, uh, The Engineer Corps of Hell, written in 1886. Those two All right, folks, if you want to investigate. I'm just going to take your word for it. Um, now, let's get back to where we were. We're, believe it or not, on a straight course, uh, beginning with 9-11. Uh, by the way, that article I wrote, boy, it went I literally viral. The real thing viral. It went, um, I looked at it yesterday. I did 36 Google pages with that article on it, and then I just said enough is enough. Um, there was something about it. I'm not sure why that issue of Christopher Boland blaming the Zionists uh, was tugged so many hearts, but that article seemed to have. Now, the headlines were, Chamish finally admits the Zionists did 9-11, which wasn't my article at all. Um, I, look, Labor Zionism is something that should be understood. Now, what you call them are the Hofjuden, the Hofjuden uh, of the Pope of Rome. In other words, that labor Zionism is their creation and, well, they're the Hofjuden. You better explain that one. Um, it's a very important concept. Okay, Hofjuden or Hofjuden, as you say, is court you. They are the court Jews of the emperor, the Pope of Rome. Remember, he is the king of Rome. He's an emperor. And so they do his bidding. And they have always done his bidding. From Theodore Herzl having an audience with the Pope in 1904 to the English Rothschilds having a part in purchasing of land there, they've always been doing the bidding of the papacy. Because, you see, the papacy want, wanted a reestablishment 
of the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem that it lost in 1291 to the Mamluks when they drove out the Templars. So all Israel in the eyes of the Pope is nothing more than the revived Latin kingdom of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is everything to the papacy. And so therefore, they're going to use the American Congress and their Fed, the Pope's Federal Reserve Bank to extend money to to finance their revived Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, even though they give three times that amount of money to the Arab countries. So this is all about building the Pope's revived Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem. And you're saying they're using... Now remember, um, this article of mine, which is gaining fame and notoriety, I say there's one a party within Judaism that has really just been a disaster uh, for the Jewish people in every way, and that is the Labor Zionist Party. Uh, call it what you will, in Israel it's still Malach, the labor, uh, but nonetheless, they founded Israel uh, against the wishes, by the way, of the vast, the vast majority of Jews who didn't want to live in Kibbutzim and all this baloney that they instituted there. Now, it's a complicated subject. And this, is, and this is my point. The government of Israel is against the beloved Hebrew Jewish Israelites people who live in their land. It opposes them. It oppresses them. It suppresses their inventive abilities. It prevents them from having victory over their enemies within the country, and further overseen by this government of Washington, controlled by the Pope. This government in Israel is completely and totally criminal. It's against the right of the people to live in their land, and it's overseen by the Vatican through London and Washington. Now, I actually know a few things about this. Oh, darn. Listen, we're going to carry on with this subject when we get back in three minutes, all right? I want to go into the court Jews who are doing the damage and who did the damage in 9-11 as well, uh, and not just minorly. It was, uh, it was labor Zionism. For one way, at the top or below the top, court Jews are or the court will find out when we come back in three minutes. Jews, 
uh, say there are some top, stick with Rabin, they tell me. Uh, Rabin was killed by Paris. Um, Rabin wrote a book, his autobiography in 1979, and he does one little sentence in that book has reverberated. He says that Simon Paris was educated in Poland until the age of nine. You know, third grade, uh, by the Jesuits, at a Jesuit school, which was unusual uh, for the Jew, for any Jew in Poland to send their kid to a Jesuit school. That was unusual. Let's start from there. Well, wait a second. You said that Rabin said this in his book, and what's his book's uh, name? Barry? It was his autobiography. It was in 1979. I quoted that all, in all kinds of places. Okay, I remember that, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, anyway, when he's being educated by the Jesuits, educated in Poland, there's no such thing as a, a, a separation of church and state in Poland. The Jesuits are running the state, and key to their control of the state is their control of education, because as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. And so they got one of their court Jews there. And uh, use him to govern their... Oh, you missed... You missed... Well, it's my fault, and I, maybe I should have stressed this, but in your argument uh, for Paris's that little look, Vatican controlled Paris. I'm going to say it outright. Rabin tells us something that nobody else ever... Well, it came from... Uh, Rabin was Paris's victim. Paris knocked him off, and he wrote that Paris was educated in Poland until the age of nine by the Jesuits. Never forget that. It's only one line, but it reverberates. Yeah, the great discovery on your part. And so that's so very important. And Perez, you know, he's, he's a knight of the British Empire. He's a good friend of King Juan Carlos, as you said before. King Juan Carlos. Oh, uh, my goodness, sir. Okay, I'm, it's your show, I'm sorry. I, I'm getting excited for uh, stuff I found. But yes, we have a problem that Israel is being run outside, and Paris's influence is the Vatican's influence, and that influence this also so-called peace accord, is that the Vatican Accord was signed the same month, and the same people were working on it. Uh, that is Paris and someone named Jesse Balin, Yes, they do overlap alarmingly. Yes, they do, because the papacy runs those two centers. And they run it to the detriment of the Jews living in Israel. And I think that's something that every Jew needs to take away from this broadcast. That those labor Zionists are not their friends. They're against them. They lie, cheat, and steal. And if there's anything they don't want is a true peace in Israel. Well, first of all, let's begin with something obvious. Uh, the Labor Party has in the Knesset, oh, what is it, 12, 13 seats uh, out of 120. They barely, those Jews long ago abandoned them. But that's not the issue. It's who rules. It's not about revolution. Well, they've got the money and they've got the control. Why should Whoever controls the intelligence community rules the country. Well, let me tell you a little about uh, the IDF and the Mossad. If you're a settler or you're religious, there are limits to how far you can rise. 
the it's all shockingly because of the tremendous influence of the settlers in the army. They've got no influence in actual directives. None. They're stopped. Yeah. yeah. So, so then that's typical because the the labor Zionists work with Hitler in the destruction of, as you know, the Jews of Europe, specifically the Jews of Hungary. And as you know, the great work by Ben Hecht, Perfidy, shows the collusion of, of certain leading Jews with, with Adolf Eichmann and Kurt Becker, uh, those two Nazi colonels. And uh, so they aided and abetted them in the destruction of their own racial brethren because these people were decided to be exterminated. They decided to kill them, that it, that it was necessary in order to establish the revival of the kingdom of Jerusalem. Well, it was certainly necessary to, uh, to recreate um, a Jewish people in Israel in their image. Yeah, and that's what Rudolf Kastner was about, Ben-Gurion. All of them. The works were about that. Oh, yeah. <coughs> so, 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 well, this is what Boland doesn't understand. No, I, I know he does understand it, Barry. I don't. What he's, I maintain he's creating anti-Jewish fury by his writings. He's, heard, he's seen my stuff, he's seen your stuff, and yet he persists. I think she may be a, a, a true blue bread and butter anti-Semite. Well, okay, but to be an anti-Semite, to hate the Jews, you have to overlook certain obvious facts that point away from the Jews running everything. Well, I'm going to go back to my dilemma. I agree. Look, uh, I didn't. I I didn't write the review uh, just to slam him. I I read his book, and there are parts that are, uh, you know what? They're well researched, and they just show that this labor Zionism. Well, what he says, they ran the whole 9-11 show. Um, I, that is such a blatant lie. It just angers me. I can give him fact after fact that shows that that was impossible, that they ran it. It's absurd. Um, I agree, and I wrote, I wrote that. I said, if I want to write a book uh, proving that Protestants were behind 9-11, I would start with the president and vice president and just keep on going. Yeah, which we know is, is absurd. Those Protestants are prostitute Protestants. They don't believe the Bible, and they do not protest the usurpations of the Pope of Rome. They're not well, they openly belong to uh, Protestant churches. It's only Protestant in name. The Methodist Church, they don't protest the temporal power of the Pope or his spiritual power. They say nothing about it. I'm not sure about the divisions. It's kind of like Zionism uh, to the... Uh, Uninformed. Uh, all I know is if just a broad theory. If I want to start a Protestant conspiracy, I would start with the president as vice president. Uh, just leave it at that. And then I take you right to Skull and Bones, and I show you that the Jesuits controlled the Skull and Bones, regardless if you're Protestant, Jew, or Catholic, and the Skull and Bones. Jesuits control it all. Well, many of our listeners. Um, aren't sure what you mean by skull and bones. Oh, oh. 
well, it's the secret society of Skull and Bones at Yale, and that's a, the secret society that George Herbert Walker Bush was a mem- is a member of, and that his son George W. Bush is a member of, and that his friend, uh, um, <clears throat> the, the, the past presidential candidate against George Bush, um, what was his name? I'll lose me. What's his Gary? Yeah, yeah. Gary, he's Skull and Bones, too. Yeah, they're both candidates for Skull and Bones, Barry. <laughs> so, so uh, Skull and Bones is run by the papacy, and one of the evidence is that when you're initiated in the crypt, you must kiss the slippered toe of the Pope. That's part of it. And the other thing is, Don Quixote is there welcoming them into the order, and he's representing the Jesuit general. And one of the things they have to do is they have to desecrate the body of Madame de Pompadour. Madame de Pompadour was the, was the concubine, was the paramour, of King Louis the Fifteenth of France, and she insisted upon the suppression of the Jesuits. So she became a dyed-in-the-wool enemy of the Jesuit order. You're saying they have to rape a woman no, I'm, I'm not for saying 400 rape. years? No, I'm saying that they have to do some disrespectful act to the, the right. body of Madame de Pompadour, because they hate Madame de Pompadour. She was involved in the suppression of the Jesuits in France in 1754. Without her influence over Louis the Fifteenth, they probably would not have been suppressed. And to this day in America, you go to Yale and you join the fraternity and you uh, are invited into a club. You have to uh, molest this woman uh, from France of 400 years ago. No, no, I didn't say molest. I'm not sure exactly what they do. I have an authorist that says what they do to Madame de Pompadour. All I remember is Madame de Pompadour is a disrespected entity in the initiation. And the reason why is because Madame de Pompadour is hated by the Jesuit order. And Skull and Bones, is it a, is it a Catholic? No. It's not Catholic. No, it's not Catholic. It was, it's ostensibly Protestant. Yale was founded by Protestant preachers. All the Ivy League schools were. But the Jesuits infiltrated it in 1832, and this is the Bavarian Illuminati brought over to America in, uh, in 1832 in New Haven, Connecticut. And to show how the Jesuits really get along with them, they founded their Knights of Columbus in, what, 1881-82 in New Haven, Connecticut. Well, the Knights of Columbus and Skull and Bones, are, their headquarters are in the same city. Are you saying George Bush knows that his uh, secret fraternity is run by the Jesuits? Of course. His son probably does, but he's a little slow. Uh, I'm sure his daddy told him. I know know of a particular Secret Service agent who said to my close friend, George Bush was an idiot. All he ever did was watch him throw the football or kick the soccer ball around the lawn in the White House. George Bush doesn't do anything. He's just a figurehead for the Jesuits initiated in Skull and Bones to say what they wanted to say, just like Barry Davis Obama. They both know the Vatican brought down those buildings. They both know it's behind 9-11. They both are going to continue on continuing the crusade. They both know. All right. Let's go back to the main topic all over again. Uh, we, we veered a bit. Now, what... What you told me, and I agree with, um, well, we can have a discussion if I wanted to, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. Here's a quote. Blaming the Jews for 9-11 is Jewish persecution. Um, now, what do you mean by that? 
Well, it's, it's Jewish persecution. It's per, when you ever you blame a particular people in general for the work of others, then that is a, a form of persecution. When you blame the Muslims for 9-11, that's a form of persecution. When you blame the Jews for 9-11 with these outspoken certain court Jews, that's a, perse- that's a persecution. They should be blaming certain individuals involved, and then you need to find out who they're tied to, who they're working for, and they're not working for the Jewish people. Well, we're going to dive. They're simply not working for the Jewish people. That goes uh, truly without saying. Uh, the only problem is there's not many of us saying it. Now, let's go look. Oh, boy, oh, boy. All right, I'm going to do what you want me, and you just go. Okay. You just go there, all right? Um, He, that is Bowling, blames the Zionists for the uh, financial trouble in the U.S. Uh, Now, there are points after that where I just wrote hard, and I'll quote you. Uh, Boland doesn't mention Rome with the Jesuits whose students control the banks of North America. I proved the big six beneficiaries of the 2008 financial debacle were all connected to the Jesuit institutions. I proved that Bernard Madoff was truly working for the order when he stole 50 billion bucks. I proved that Richard Full, head of Lehman Brothers, participated in the fall of the historic Jewish firm uh, on behalf of the Pope's CFR, uh, look, these, before we get back to the problem at hand, uh, these are pretty outrageous uh, claims. That's right, of course they're outrageous, but they're true. When I debated this guy named Ogner, and I think the debates with uh, Liberty Radio Live here, I went through the six institutions that greatly benefited from the big payoff. One of them was Bank of America. Bank of America is owned, according to Avril Manhattan in his book, The Vatican Billions, at least 51% is owned by the Jesuits. It was founded by an Italian-American Knight of Malta named Giannini out of San Francisco, first the Bank of America, then it became the Bank, first the Bank of Italy, and then it became the Bank of America. The Knights of Malta, working for the Jesuits, controlled the Bank of America, and it received one of the biggest, one of the big payouts of what, 25 billion, something like that. And then you got another bank called J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase is completely controlled by the Knights of Malta, and they got another great big payout. One of the one of the associates in it is Jeffrey T. Biasi. Jeffrey T. Biasi is the Knight of Malta, and also an advisor to the Pope. Uh, another one of the banks that got paid out, I believe, was Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, too, is run by the Jesuits. And Wells Fargo and Bank of America are going to be involved in the Dinar revaluation where the Jesuits are going to make gigabillions. Well, the I think we should note something. Let's note that two of the biggest banks, and they became banks, they were investment firms, and then they became investment banks, and then they lost their shirts. They were Jewish, and that is Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, and uh, they went down. That's right. And what happened to Bear Stearns? Remember, remember who purchased Merrill Lynch? Merrill Lynch was a Catholic firm. Bear Stearns was Jewish. What happened to Bear Stearns? 
well, plane crashed. But they bought Merrill Lynch, which was Catholic. I think Bank of No, Merrill Lynch bought Bear Stearns. Well, Mer- Merrill, no, no, Merrill Lynch was going down, and it was purchased by another bank, if my memory serves me correctly. Merrill Lynch was a Catholic firm on Wall Street. Well, Lehman my Brothers point was a, Lehman was, Brothers was a Jewish firm. Yes. So Lehman Brothers also remembers head run by Dick Fold. Dick Fold was a member of the CFR. So he had to have knowledge of this. And Timothy Geithner, as I showed, refused to bail out Lehman Brothers, and it cost the market, according to Jim Cramer, he cost it $1 trillion. Why did Timothy Geithner not make the decision to bail out Lehman Brothers? Because we got to steal all that Jewish money. That's why. Before we kill the Jews in North America, we got to steal all their money. Well, let's not go overboard yet. Uh, we do have one giant Jewish firm running uh, uh, on Wall on Wall yeah, Street today. You know who I mean, of course. Goldman Sachs, right? Of course. Goldman Sachs is not Jewish. It's run by the Knights of Malta. Goldman Sachs is only Jewish in name. Um, and there are certain you know, their executives. The their executives are are, are are pretty Jewish. Well, they have certain Jews, but those Jews are CFR controlled, and you have other certain Knights of Malta involved with Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs is a Vatican banking firm. And, it, and you know why the Vatican likes it? Because it has a Jewish name. And all the things that it does in its criminal operation can be blamed on the Jews. That's why they like it. All right. Um, listeners, um, if you caught that, what do you mean by that? <laughs> why would Goldman Sachs... Uh, which really has a board, and it, uh, it's a very Jewish firm. I mean, it really is. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not a very Jewish firm. It's run by papal knights for the benefit of the papacy, for the benefit of the Latin King of Jerusalem, for the destruction of historic white Anglo-Saxon Protestant America. That's why it's being run. Well, I have several Knight of Malta connections to Goldman Sachs. That's an easy one. So you're saying, well, what you're saying there was a war uh, between uh, two decent uh, Jewish banks, uh, Lehman and uh, Bear Stearns, in which Goldman Sachs eliminated them on behalf of Rome. That's not an easy argument. I'm not saying Goldman Sachs did it. I'm saying that Timothy Geithner, the Secretary of Treasury, eliminated Lehman Brothers because he refused to bail it out when he could have easily done it. Well, same with Bear Stearns. And by the way, um, I know a little about Bear Stearns. My uh, cousin was a partner there. Uh, This was a corporation. Uh, It had its own zip code. and It had a huge building. For that to go bankrupt one day is is. uh, it really shakes your belief in uh, the foundations of the financial industry. No, no. What it should teach you is that the Vatican runs the financial industry, and it was out to steal as much Jewish money as possible. J.P. Morgan Chase, they didn't go down. Bank of America, they didn't suffer. They're all papal institutions. They wanted to get those Jewish firms. They want to get that money just like they used, like Fairfield Group, what in Connecticut used Bernie Madoff, 
to steal $50 billion of Jewish money in his $60 billion ripoff. And Bernie Madoff knows very well. Uh, uh, say that again, please. Bernard Madoff. Yeah. He, we caused, what, the $60 billion loss there? Right. Damn. $50 billion of it was Jewish money. I know. Okay. So, therefore, what he, and he, who was he working for? He was working with a Fairfield group, went out of Connecticut. The Fairfield group is absolutely tied to the Jesuit order. Absolutely. I know he had an office of accountants uh, in Connecticut. You've got to check the Fairfield group out because that's the real problem. And those are the boys. I know they were Italian. Their names were yeah, very Italian. Italian. I know Catholic. that. Italian Roman Catholic. They benefited. They ripped off the Jews. Bernie Madoff, the Jew, was a fall guy. Everybody in America said, look at those dirty Jews. Look what Madoff did. We need to kill these Jews. That's what's brewing. That's what they're about. And the Jesuits love it. I think Bernie Madoff needs to confess up and say, listen, I was, uh, I was being used by this firm over here. And I'm not sure he'd know that. I think he does. Uh, well, that's a very different interpretation. Um, look, I kind of think, look, it was a major, major crime he committed. I mean, really, and there are so many victims. You're right. Jewish charities were, were bankrupted by Madoff. Uh, How do you that think is a fact. like that? But maybe he was just a plain crook. No. Uh-uh. Well, what the Jesuits run the Securities and Exchange Commission knew this crooked scheme for years before they before it finally went down. The SEC could have busted them years before that. No, no, they were behind it. They want to take all the Jewish money in the country. Well, in Wall Street today, there's only one to go. Uh, one good scandal, and Goldman Sachs goes, and uh, that's it for. Uh, uh, you know, Jewish bankers in Wall Street. Well, the Jews need to start a new bank because the Goldman Sachs is run by the Pope. There's certain papal knights in it. Jeffrey T. Biasi was one of them. Check him out. Jeffrey T. Biasi. B-I-O-I-S-I. Heaven in my book. I got a picture of him there. The knights run Goldman Sachs. All right. This is the financial... Well, a different outlook on the upcoming depression in America. Uh, and Eric, first of all, tell people how to uh, read this stuff on the internet. Um, I cover some of that on my on my, on my uh, website, VaticanAssassins.org. All right, and folks, believe it or not, I've covered these issues. Uh, not exactly the same way, but I certainly have covered the Vatican and their tie to the uh, Oslo peace and all kinds of ties uh, within Israel. Just before I met Eric, let's not, that's why he met me. I was covering this independently. You get my books at lulu.com. That's www.lulu.com. There's a search box right in my name, C-H-A-M-I-S-H. That's how you spell Chambers. And my website is BarryChambers.com. Let's go to the next uh, topic. Uh, look, also in this article I wrote was 
bowl of contention that Israel signed the USS Liberty on June 8th of 19... Oh, my goodness. All right, Eric, get ready after this break. We're going to talk the Liberty uh, to begin with after a seven-minute break for commercials. Uh, Eric, are you ready for that? Oh, sure. Are we on for another hour then? Yes. Okay, that's good. That's fine. Oh, uh, we I want to always talk a little bit with Angie, too. I want to talk about the Gators and Tom Monahan and Adam Malta and his his part in the 2008 day. We have an hour. We'll get to all the topics. Folks, we'll be back in seven minutes. Hi there, my name is Alan Lamont. I am bringing a message about the Rothschilds. It's very important to understand their real position because people elevate them to a position they don't have. A lot of people say the Rothschilds control the New World Order, they control the One World Government. They don't. They are papal and royal knights that are Jesuit controlled. For those who doubt the balance of power between the Rothschilds, British royalty and the papacy, what they have to understand is that the Rothschilds are under control of the Black Pope. They always have been, since the very foundation of the Illuminati. They're Vatican Knights. That's as high as they go within the grand scheme of things. They're just Vatican Knights of Rome. The Rothschilds are under the power of the British Crown. They are Knights of the British Empire, under the power of the Order of the Garter. And, of course, the Rothschilds do fund the international drug trade. They're war bankers, primarily, but they also move money around the stock markets, control the stock markets. That's the truth. They control finance. They're involved in politics primarily military intelligence. That's their position. They're elite knights. That's what I'll call them. The Rothschilds are elite knights. They're connected to the knighthood orders. For instance, the Knights of Malta and also the Franco-Neapolitan branch of the Constantinian order. But 
they're part of what's called the black nobility. But they are not in control of the Vatican's wealth. It's very important to understand because when a lot of people talk about the Rothschilds, they make them out to be this all-powerful group in this bloodline that control all of the bloodlines, they control all governments, and they control the whole of the banking system. Even going too far as to say that they control the Vatican's wealth. Now, their title is Guardians of the Vatican Treasury, but it doesn't mean they control the Vatican's treasury. How anyone can think that the Rothschilds are the pinnacle of power is really beyond me, really, because they're powerful, but they're under the power of the Jesuits. They are the bankers for the Society of Jesus. But there are many other bloodlines that you don't hear about simply because they're not Jews. Let me explain that. When it comes to the real hidden New World Order, it is the Vatican. And behind the Vatican, of course, you have the Jesuits in control. They're at the top of this power structure, but really there are also other banking bloodlines. Let me explain them. You have the Medici, you have the Brexpere, Orsini, Farnese. These are from Rome. These are Italian papal bloodlines. Of course, we don't hear about them because they're not Jewish. And of course, the Jesuit order continually have to bring out this dead theory that the Rothschilds control the world. Let me explain the background of the Rothschilds and their banking dynasty. When it comes to the Rothschilds themselves, understand it. For instance, in 2002, uh, the Rothschilds themselves, as in you know, Baron Rothschild was made a Knight Grand Cross of the Order of the British Empire in 1998. Also, that order, uh, for instance, with the Rothschilds goes back to 1885. Since 1885, the Rothschilds have been under the power of the British Crown. They're barons. That's what they are within the British structure. They're barons. But also that title, the Baronet, the Rothschilds goes back to 1847 and the current Baron von Rothschild which is an Austrian empire title dates back to 1822 and so we see in history that the Rothschilds were always under the power of the British crown it doesn't mean they serve the Queen Queen Elizabeth although she is a dame of the Knight of Malta it really means that the Rothschilds have no more power. They can't rise above the monarchies because the monarchies have more power than the black nobility. And that's all the Rothschilds are. They're merely the black nobility household. That's what they are. Uh, Lord Victor Rothschild, who is a third baron of the bloodline Rothschild, was made a Knight Grand Cross of the British Empire in 1975 and was also a Knight of the Queen's Order of St. John. So they're an Order of the British Empire and an Order of the Knight of St. John. But the Queen is the sovereign of the Order of St. John and of the Order of St. Michael and St. George. This is why the Jewish President Shimon Peres was knighted with the honorary knighthood into the Order of St. Michael and St. George. You will find that the, the Jewish bloodlines that are high in the Vatican knighthood structure, they're always under the power of the Order of St. John from Her Majesty the Queen the sovereign of the order 
was a dam of the Order of St. John in Great Britain. This is how the power structure works. So people that say that the Jews rule the New World Order, what they always leave out is this knighthood power structure. And you can prove if you look into the Vatican knighthoods that really the Rothschilds are really subordinate to the Queen. In the same way that the Queen is also subordinate to the papacy and ultimately to the Jesuit general. This is the power structure of the one world government today. The Jesuit general is in command of the Queen and Queen Elizabeth II is a dame of the Knights of Malta. She's the head of the Order of the Garter and therefore under that you have Sir Evelyn and Lord Jacob Rothschild who is head of the banking system. Doesn't mean he controls the banking system. It just means that he launders money. He moves money around. He has oversight of the banking system. That's all it means. And of course he has authority within uh, the stock markets. But he doesn't control the banking system. That's really what I'm bringing out in this video. So people have to really put the Rothschilds in the right position. Okay? They're not above the Jesuit general. They're not above the Pope of Rome. They're not above the monarchies. They're not above the papal bloodlines of Italy. They're not. Also, the grandfather of Lord Jacob Rothschild and the great-great-great-grandfather of Sir Elevin and David Rothschild, which is called Mayor Amschel Rothschild, was the founder of the Rothschild International Banking Dynasty, and he was made an imperial Holy Roman Empire crown agent. That's right, he was a crown agent. That's all he was, an agent of the crown. Let me say that again. Mayor Amschel Rothschild, the founder of the Rothschild International Banking Dynasty, was made an imperial Holy Roman Empire crown agent in 1800. And Evelyn de Rothschild's grandfather, Leopold de Rothschild, was invested as a commander, Royal Victorian Order. That means he was also under the power of Queen Victoria. And in 1902, Leopold's brother, Sir Nathan Mayer Rothschild, who was the great-grandfather of Lord Jacob Rothschild, was invested as a Knight Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, GCVO. Also in 1902, Leopold and Nathan Mayer's parents were Baron Lionel Nathan de Rothschild and Charlotte de Rothschild. Both were Vatican Knights, and a dame, of course. That's as high as they go within the structure of this papal one-world government. So what I'm doing now on the channel is, you know, bringing out a lot more revelation, and there's an article on this, and I would suggest that people go to a website called TroySpace. Very good website uh, regarding the papal bloodlines, but with the Rothschilds, they do have power. That's unmistakable. That's undeniable. They do have power over the banking system, but they're not in control of it. Far from it. Far from it. You will find that Rome is in control of the one world economy. That's all economies of the world. They're controlled by the Roman Catholic Church. And this is really a hidden establishment. This is a hidden world, really. This is the real world order. It's ruled by Vatican Knights. And of course, there's many of them 
across Europe that people are not even aware of. You have many papal knighthood orders. For instance, you have the Order of the Golden Fleece. That's ruled at the top by King Giancarlos of Spain, another monarchy that governs Europe. King Giancarlos. He's a knight of Malta. And he oversees the Order of the Golden Fleece. This is what must be exposed. Not just that the Jesuit general controls uh, world politics or the politicians, for instance, the Jesuit alumni like Obama and Herman von Rompuy, they really don't have power. They don't have power, not when it comes to this structure. This structure is the top structure. It's the Jesuit general and his provincials that control the monarchies. And the monarchies, they are the ones that control these orders, knighthood orders. Even the Grand Masters themselves are under the monarchies. Anti-Arab, but secretly pro-Arab, 
and is openly openly pro-Jew, but secretly anti-Jew. And this is a Jesuit maxim, black is white and white is black. That's my position on it. So they were doing things there that were, I maintain, were benefiting the Egyptians, benefiting Cairo and some other people. And um, and so the, the USS Liberty was going to be now uh, sunk, and it would be blamed on Israel to create anti-Jewish fury in the region, to further incite Arabs to continue to want to fight. And LBJ said, as you know, as you said earlier, I want the ship to the body ocean. It was LBJ that gave the order to sink the Liberty. And it was a nearby aircraft carrier that Liberty was looking for, for help from, and the aircraft, the captain of the craft, of the aircraft carrier, was told, you will not help with U.S. Liberty. So this well, that carrier was uh, the Sixth Fleet. Yeah. Uh, they were in the eastern Mediterranean uh, watching, uh, watching the Middle East change. Oh. And they would not intervene is right. That's Robert McNamara. Uh, yeah, Robert Strange McNamara, that liar, that one of the authors of, of the Vietnam War, uh, that criminal. And so LBJ, because he's working with the Knights of Malta, particularly Edward Bennett Williams of Washington, D.C., of which LBJ wanted to make him the mayor of Washington, D.C., Edward Bennett Williams, owning the Baltimore Redskins and the, uh, the, the Washington Redskins and the Baltimore Orioles. Well, this better be on target. want to see, you want to get the book, The Man to See. It's all about Edward Bennett Williams. And it tells you that. And the other thing is, uh, the other one was Jack Valenti. Jack Valenti was an out of Malta, one of LBJ's foremost advisors. Jack Valenti was on Air Force One, uh, grinning at LBJ after they just murdered Kennedy. So you got Nada Malta, Jack Valenti, who was a big Hollywood uh, censor, Hollywood. Uh, uh, you know, you just you kind of passed over this, but it, if I don't intervene, it'll mean that I accept this. Why do you think they murdered Kennedy? Who murdered Kennedy? The LBJ or Nada Malta? Well, you said they. Yeah, Knights of Malta. The Jesuits using the Knights of Malta, overseen by Francis Cardinal Spellman, killed Kennedy. That's one of the theme, that's the theme of my book. More Vatican assassins wounded in the house of my friends. And I list many Knights of Malta involved in the assassination of Kennedy. I didn't name Jack Valenti because I didn't know he was a knight at the time, but he was one of two with Henry Luz and, and J. Peter Grace and Leia Coca and all these all these depraved centers working for the Pope were involved in getting rid of Kennedy because Kennedy was going against the demands of Francis Cardinal Spellman, who was at the time 1963 in Pope. Well, I easily easily Well, okay, so you don't expand on that. Uh, that's quite a monster right more. there. I'll go more if you want me to. Go more. Okay. You got the head of the Dallas Morning News who's an item Malta. I put an article up on that man. I just found that one out recently. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Clay Shaw, who was a Knight of Malta and intimately involved with Lewis Mortimer Bloomfield, who was a Knight of Malta in Canada with Perman Dex, and they were working with the Black Prince, the Borges. Bloomfield was a member of a, a Catholic... Uh, Lewis Mortimer Bloomfield was a Knight of Malta. 
And Edith Bernard donated, I forget how many millions, to the Jesuits at their, what, St. Joseph's uh, University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, for the addition of a new library. So that you can become part of that. a member of the Knight of Malta. Uh, you can be a Knight of Malta. Well, you can be a Knight and convert to Catholicism, just like Louis Lehman. No, I don't think the Bloomfields converted to Catholicism. Uh, I have a picture of Louis Mortimer Bloomfield with a cross of the Knights of Malta on his lapel. And that I believe. He was an um, open Knight of Malta. And he was actively involved with Clay Shaw and Permandex. And Clay Shaw was tried by Jim Garrison in 1967 for the murder of Kennedy. Clay Shaw was a top-notch CIA agent. He was working with Knight of Malta, William J. Casey, and others. So Knight's... William Casey, again, was not a, a small-timer. No, William Casey was a Knight of Malta. He was educated by the Jesuits of Fordham University. Remind people who he was. And William J. Casey was in the OSS. He became a high officer in the CIA. And later he became Ronald Reagan's uh, DCI, Director of Central Intelligence, in the 1980s. He was the one that oversaw the whole Iran-Contra affair. He was the one working with Albert Vincent Carone and another night of Malta, who was a big mafia don and, and, a, and, a, and a, I forget, a colonel in the army. They're running drugs in the U.S. You got the mafia and the CIA working together, running drugs in every major U.S. city, city overseen by certain knights of Malta like William J. Casey and Albert Vincent Carone. Alex, again, uh, now we're going to slow down a bit. That's a lot of information. We're talking, and this was just a side issue, uh, the, the uh, Kennedy assassination. Uh, we can try and get back to where we were, and that was the liberty. Uh, do you want to try and explain why the liberty was uh, helping Egypt and again, I've got some personal information. It's not terribly opposed to your point of view, but it, uh, there are subtleties. Well, I maintain that they're busy, they were busy attempting to further foment a war in the Middle East. Well, they have done that already. The yeah, war has broken, right. uh, broken out. And Israel had already captured the Sinai. So, I'm not sure exactly why, but I'm sure that the U.S. intelligence community was working also with Egyptian intelligence and, and uh, in addition with Turkey, because they're openly pro-Muslim. Pro they're secretly pro-Muslim. They're openly pro-Jew. That's the that's the real that's the real design of this intelligence community, this government here. The Knights of Malta want to revive Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, but they want to revive Egyptians. They want to revive Sunni Caliphate too. So they're working to both ends. Well, the way it was explained to me uh, was that uh, it all began in the 50s uh, when NASA wanted a, a dam uh, on the Nile River at Aswan uh, to generate hydroelectric power prim primarily. Now, he asked the Americans for funding. Eisenhower sent a team to check it, and they said this is an ecological disaster. Uh, it's going to kill every uh, fish in the eastern Mediterranean, and eventually soak up, and it won't 
it won't even exist in 80 years. It'll be too sheltered for work. And he turned it down. Eisenhower turned it down. NASA turned to the Soviets, and the Soviets didn't care. They built a dam, uh, which is doing uh, what uh, Eisenhower feared. The fish are mostly dead in the Eastern Mediterranean, just little ones left, and all that kind of stuff. I, uh, NASA was the Soviet's primary base in the Middle East, and Johnson wanted it removed. He wanted NASA removed, shaking the liberty and blaming it on Egypt would have provided the uh, excuse for America to uh, overturn Egypt. There. That's the way it was explained to me. You know, that, that could be the case, but the point I think we need to make is that Israel did not attack the U.S. liberty, U.S.S. liberty because it wanted to. The no, this is the issue of, of uh, Moshe Dayan. Moshe Dayan was told to sink it, and he muffed it. His Air Force muffed it, and they used that as blackmail against him uh, for the rest of his career. It's a very uh, intertwined case. Yeah, but Moshe Dayan was a traitor. I mean, they take. And he became one. That's for darn sure. Yeah, they take the, in the 67 war, he takes the Temple Mount, and 24 hours he gives it back to the Arab Muslims. I call that treason. So he was a traitor because he was working for the labor Zionists, subject to the Pope, working with Washington and London. And when they, I, I maintain the Israeli Air Force could have easily sunk the USS Liberty, but certain pilots refused to do it. They didn't want to do it. Yeah, I got that for, uh, from uh, within. Yeah, I know of one pilot that said that we were we couldn't understand we was told to attack the USS Liberty. They deliberately did not sink that ship. I so, as I said, from within I was told they dropped bombs in the ocean and and they flew home uh in absolute confusion. They disobeyed an order but they wouldn't uh they couldn't uh in all conscience uh sink an American ship. That's right. I mean, they did strafe it. American sailors were killed. But they did not sink the ship, and they disobeyed orders. And that's why Johnson was furious, and that's why Johnson uh, would not allow the, the, the Sixth Fleet to come to the rescue of the USS Liberty. He wanted it down. Well, there's because, no question because about every, that. Because, because, yeah, because every war in this country, every war in this Pope's American empire has always started with a navy since, since uh, the Spanish-American War. And so they wanted to have another war going with the sinking of the USS Liberty that would have enraged the entire uh, Navy and, and the military people uh, to... Right, and the thinking then, uh, remember the Gulf of Hanoi uh, was because of the Tonkin. Uh, they liked to sink a ship and, and, and get, uh, well, get everything, get a real rolling. Uh, right. The Gulf of Tonkin was a fraud. And they used that to, to incite the Vietnam War when Kennedy was ready to pull everybody out. He was killed. Johnson takes over. They have a Gulf of Tonkin incident. And uh, bam, they got their Vietnam War. And it's, in essence, the Liberty uh, was a Tonkin Gulf of Hanoi event. Yeah, that's right. Gulf of Tonkin event. They wanted to All right. I think we, uh, I agree with that, by the way. Uh, and I, uh, Let's just say I agree with that. That's, and my sources were uh, after.
after speaking with people who actually were in the know a bit, um, it's, it's true. That interpretation is uh, the best I could come up with. I can't see another one. Now, look, uh, what you sent me, and we can discuss because this, this next uh, statement you sent me is wrong. And it's bothersome to me, but again, I got to dive on this. Thanks. This is you, Wayne. Uh, let's continue to expose the Pope's Masonic Jewish neighbor Zionists as the greatest persecu persecutors of the, uh, well, the Israelites. I've got to tell you something. Uh, when you use Masonic, uh, this is also something I've been uh, kind of forced to look into a bit. And Jabotinsky, he was the head of the Irgun. Um, he was a member of the Grand Orient Lodge, uh, Lodge in Paris, and it, uh, very open about it, by the way. Yeah, but he was disobedient. Uh, hold on. Let, all right, I'll go to the next one after. What do you mean by that? What I mean was is he persisted in wanting to save the Jews of Poland, and the program was they're going to die, which Ben-Gurion was behind. But Gurion was a Mason, too. So, therefore, he was a disobedient Freemason, and that's why he died strangely in Hunter, New York. I maintain he was poisoned. That well, was a disobedient that, he certainly did die... Uh, younger than he should have. Yes, he did. He did. Because and, his whole, the, the whole Irgun movement was anti-Jesuit, anti-papal, because they wanted their own country for the Jews. They did not want to share power with the Pope. Well, they want to fight the Nazis. Uh, that was the issue. Uh, Jabotinsky was on his way, really, to forming a Jewish army uh, to fight the Nazis. Um, and, well, he was, he was overturned. Uh, they were thrown out of the Zionist movement. They, uh, they lost any power they had. Right, because the labor Zionists were working with the Nazis. I have a coin in my, one of my PowerPoints. On one side of the coin is a swastika. The other side is a uh, six-sided uh, six star, the star of uh, David, quote-unquote, which is the sign of the labor Zionists. It's on the same coin. They're both working together. And whenever when Jabotinsky came along, he said, "I'm not working with the Nazis. I'm not going to. I'm not going to help destroy my people in Poland." And so, therefore, he's marked. And perfidy uh, tells the story very well, as you know. Uh, I think the story is well better told in a book called The Transfer Agreement. Uh, uh, I assume you've read it. Yes, by Evan Black. Yeah, the transfer agreement. Uh, spells out that there was a deal cut uh, between the labor Zionists and the Nazis uh, to totally suppress every Jewish organization uh, in German hands except labor Zionism. And uh, there they set up camps to send uh, literally Jewish doctors, lawyers, professionals to become farmers. They trained them to become farmers on Kibbutzim in Germany with the Nazis' permission, and, well, they got paid off. The labor Zionists uh, blocked all boycotts of the Nazis. In essence, this Holocaust is a major problem with me. I lost many family cruelly. Uh, it could have been me. 
uh, if I was on that side of the family, and yes, these labor Zionists were in the thick of it. Absolutely. And and what happens after uh, after Ben Heck writes his work, Perfidy, and he talks about... Perfidy was minor. Perfidy showed that one person, Rudolf Kastner, went... I'm bringing out a point. Rudolf Kastner, exactly right. Rudolf Kastner, working with Kurt Becker and I, Rudolf Kastner was a labor Zionist. And as you know, he's later exposed, uh, and uh, and he ultimately just happens to be killed on his doorstep because they, <laughs> he was killed in his hospital room, uh, and it was la- it was labor Zionist hitman. Uh, he, uh, I know a little about the story, but neither here nor there. The fact is, it was a very troubling episode uh, that killed 800,000 Jews. Uh, the deal to send 3,500 hand-picked Jews to Palestine and let the rest go to concentration camps. That was the story of, of perfidy. The transfer agreement was the whole, the whole six million uh, in, a, in a deal that you can't read perfidy uh, with any knowledge without reading the transfer agreement first. But, but you, of course, and it's really bigger than just than just the labor Zionists and Nazis working together against the six million or the six point five million or maybe even seven. No, it included all the Allied powers. It included FDR. It included Winston Churchill. It included FDR because he had a labor Zionist. It included Brandeis and Schiff. Brandeis, that's right. And Astor. Yeah, well, it included them because FDR was controlled by Jesuit Edmund Walsh. And Edmund Walsh oversaw the labor Zionist CFR members in FDR's cabinet. That's how it really happened. It wasn't just him having Jewish advisors. His top advisor was Edmund Walsh, the Jesuit from Georgetown. He sat next to FDR when he formally recognized Russia as a, as a government in 1933, so all the American corporations, especially Ford, could go build their Gorky, Gorky factory in Russia. FDR was overseen by General Walsh, and there were certain labor Zionists working with him. But, oh no, you can't blame them exclusively because they're controlled by the CFR, and Cardinal and, and the, the and the Archbishop of New York is the one controlling the Council on Foreign Relations. Yeah, but we've got a problem with that. That while the Holocaust was taking place, uh, Brand, uh, you know, the head of the Supreme Court under FDR. Uh, he wasn't the head. The head was Charles Evans Hughes. Who one? You're saying Brandeis was never head of the Supreme Court? He was not the head of the Supreme Court during the FDR era. No, he wasn't. All right. He no, was on the Supreme Court then. That's right. Yeah. Well, we had, we're talking about since we're talking about Brandeis, let's talk about that a little bit. Lee Brandeis gave a holding opinion for Tompkins versus Erie Railroad in 1938 on April 25th. And when that Supreme Court case was decided, it did away with general federal common law and overturned Swift versus Tyson of 1841. And when they did that, they destroyed any kind of general federal common law on a federal level, which was a crime, a high crime. And and so the Jews can now be blamed for this at a later date because Brandeis delivered, delivered the opinion of the court. Well, all we can say... Uh, I'm going to go on to another topic that's right in line with this. Uh, This is a very uh, difficult uh, subject for me, that the American Jewish leadership 
led to the annihilation. Uh, really, don't underestimate this. Uh, if the American dozen with influence and FDR's ears and all this kind of stuff had just said bomb uh, all communications with the uh, with the concentration camps, let the Nazis know this got to stop, but they did nothing. And uh, this is a very touchy subject for me, very touchy. I'm going to go on to someone you may not know, but I was given a, in Israel, uh, I, by, without telling you who, she didn't want me to, but I got them anyways. She gave me a whole pile of, of Mason, Masonic documents. Uh, she found them in the house she moved into. And it doesn't matter, I got them. They were very interesting. And one thing you should know, that Mayor Shamgar, the Chief Justice of Israel, oh my goodness, was a 33rd degree um, a member of the Masons. He was the judge who covered up and whitewashed the Rabin assassination. Good. Wonderful, wonderful fact. Thank you so much. Uh, no problem. The Hebron, so-called Hebron Master Goldstein. Uh, we'll be back in three minutes uh, for our last segment. I'm going to call in and my phone is battery. I'll call right back. Uh, a voice now. Uh, 
Eric, can you hear? I hear you perfectly. How, can you hear me all right? Well, you're a few feet underwater, uh, but I think we can barely get okay, to the Okay, I'm going to try to Okay. So, go ahead. Look, I had a request from someone. Uh, before we get back, I'm going to finish off with China, the Jesuits, and again, labor Zionists, uh, and the opium, well, the opium trade was very Jewish, but... The opium trade was run by the Jesuits running the British crown. That's who ran the opium trade. It started in 1842, after the Jesuits were formally readmitted back into China in 1841. The opium trade was set on by the British, controlled by the Jesuits, to weaken the Chinese people so that the Jesuits could overthrow the Manchu dynasty in 1912, which they did. Well, I think it was a, a, a Brit named Sassoon uh, who was in charge of the uh, opiate uh, trade uh, from India to China, and the Jews have been catching this one, uh, well, big time. Well, well, the, 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 the Chinese don't forget that. The Sassoons, like the Rothschilds, are nothing more than papal court Jews doing the business of the Pope. It's like the Fuggers were a Jewish family that did the economic business for the Pope during the Dark Ages. They're always working for the papacy. The Jews run nothing. If they cease to be agents for the papacy, they will no longer be big merchants. Um, I think we lost Eric. I, I'm here. Do you hear me? Yes. And you, yeah, okay, I'm here. strange noise. I thought you... Uh, disappeared from it. All right. So the opium trade, nevertheless, the, the well, the trader, the opium trader was someone named Hassoun. Uh, he was buddies with the, um, he was uh, buddies with the Rothschilds of uh, London, and it did the Jews no good whatsoever to be involved with this. That's true, but again, you're talking about papal court Jews that are working for the Pope. They couldn't care less about their own racial people. They couldn't care less. Once again, you forgot to mention the obvious things. The Jesuits really did have a major presence in China. Of course they did. I have it in my book. And the Jesuits were run out of China about the time of their suppression by the Pope. And according to Campbell in his work, the Jesuits, 1534 to 1931, he says they were readmitted, and he was the president of Fordham, by the way. They said they were readmitted into China in 1841, I believe. So the Jesuits hated the Manchu dynasty. And so they were out then to overthrow it. And they finally succeeded in 1912 overthrowing the Manchus and later instituting their Mao Zedong in 1949. All right, I'm going to go backwards. This point bothered me a bit. The business of Shamgar being a, a, an early member of the Irgun and working to cover up the murders that were instituted by Paris, who is really the Vatican's agent in Israel. And the I know. Yes. That bothers me. 
It ought to, because that shows you that Supreme Court justice was not your gun. It was only your gun in name. No self-respecting your would ever work openly or ever work openly with the labor Zionists, knowing what the labor Zionists had done to the Jews during the Third Reich and what they had done in the founding of Israel. Well, he did. Yeah, well, he was a traitor. Yeah, he's very honest really with Israel. It's an amazing thing uh, that people actually respect the man. Uh, I don't know how they get away with it. Because of the Pope's press. They make a hero out of him. Because he was a good boy and he did what he was told to do. Cover up the Rubin assassination. Just like that dirty, filthy, Lutheran, apostate, Protestant, 33rd degree Freemason, Earl Warren, covered up the Kennedy assassination with his disgusting Warren commission. The same thing. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. Um, and the reports are, uh, well, they are the public knowledge of what happened. Uh, they're the official version of what happened. And, well, in both cases, uh, it's a pack of lies. But right. the Shangai report on Rabin, uh, you know what? It was less professional and more obviously wrong than Warren's. <laughs> well, you, you have to work hard to do that. <clears throat> I know we're losing... We're losing your voice slowly. Can you hear me better now? Can you hear this better? A little. Um, The last half hour of the show is uh, not going to uh, come through. It'll be okay. Some of it will. Listen, I had a request. Uh, A a listener uh, phoned me up when he heard you were going to be on the show. Now, get ready. I want a long and really good explanation of this. Are you ready? I'm ready. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, as good as can be. Okay. You are being sued by one Sherry Kane. Sherry Kane, and who else? Um, her partner. Uh, wait a and minute. Horowitz. Ho- yes, Horowitz. By the way, in addition to me, who's being sued, Alex Jones is being sued, Greg Sismansky is named on the lawsuit, Bill Deagle is being sued, David Icke is being sued. Uh, he has listed a whole bunch of defendants on his lawsuit, okay? Not just me. Now, I, I, know, I know them both. Uh, Horowitz I had my experience with, um, just to tell you, he was coming to Israel (laughs) and he wants to speak. I organized a speech, everyone was excited, and then he turned into Pastor Horowitz, Pastor Len, and he he was going, well, they canceled him. Uh, uh, Nobody was willing to sponsor him anymore, and I said it's your own fault, uh, neither here nor there. Sherry King, I also have some experience with, not necessarily ideal, but you get a chance right now to explain. I, I know that they're accusing you of. It's all yours. Yeah, okay, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, uh, what is going on? What are you being accused of? Okay. 
um, they are suing me with a host of charges that I've conspired against them and that I'm involved in fraud. I mean, I could get out the complaint and read all the charges off to you. I think I'm just going to post the whole complaint here shortly on my website. But it's all absurd. He, he, he says, in attempting to bias the court against me, he says that I'm an anti-Semite, which is absurd. It's ridiculous. My wife is half Jewish. My two sons are quarter Jew. You mean to tell me I'm an anti, anti-Jew? Well, not that Okay, well, see, that's what he said. The other thing is he says I'm anti-Catholic. Well, I'm, I'm anti-Roman Catholicism, but I'm not anti-Catholic people. I give them the gospel like I give everybody else the gospel. But he says I'm an anti-Catholic. Then he says I'm a white supremacist. I believe the greatest nations of the last 500 years have been white, they've been Protestant, and they've given refuge to the Jews. That's a historical fact that cannot be denied. I'm not a Nazi. Well, I'm not a Nazi. And so this is what he said in his book. So he attempts to malign me before the court, but these aren't the charges. His charges are fraud, and I've conspired with other people against him, with, uh, with uh, Craig Oxley and some others. He even says that I might be Craig Oxley uh, himself, and that I've conspired together to deprive him of his good name and so on. The only thing I ever did with Lynn Horowitz is I called him a knight of Malta. And he denies that he's a knight of Malta. Even though he shows, he says he's a knight of the St. John, Hospitalers of the St. John of Jerusalem of the Russian branch. It's the same people. It's the same people. He denies it. The, the Russian branch of the Knights of Malta goes back to Blessed Gerard that founded the Knights of Malta. It's the Catholic Knight of Malta that we know of today. The Knights Hospitalers, the Knights of Malta of Russia, is nothing more than a branch of the regular Knights of Malta, just like the British branch are working in cahoots with the Knights of Malta in, in Rome. So he attacks me because I called him a Knight of Malta. That's the only thing I ever did to that man. As far as Sherry Kane's concerned, I didn't even know who she was. I mean, I, I knew that she was the fiancé, but I never said anything about her ever. So now these two have conspired against me in an attempt to wreck my good name and what I've done for all these years and try to get a civil judgment against me. They have absolutely they've failed to state a claim upon which relief may be granted. There is nothing that they have of substance in their complaint, and I'm going to have to prove it and show well, it. How are they harmed? What's that? How were they harmed? Yeah, they weren't harmed. I never harmed them. I said he was an item Alta. I never worked in conspiracy or collusion with anybody to attack him. I told him in a personal letter that I wrote to him requesting that he remove me from this case. I told him that his book, Emerging Viruses, AIDS, and Ebola, is on my favorite bookshelf, and I only have one bookshelf in my, my many, many bookshelves in my library here. I said I, he exposed the Knights of Malta as emerging viruses. He did a great job on that book. It's one of my favorites. In fact, I quote him favorably in my book, in the Assassins, in chapter 49, which I will be showing the judge. I quoted him favorably. I have absolute respect for the man. He did some wonderful work. He, uh, he did another series of tapes on, uh, on the CIA creating viruses. It's, like, it's a masterpiece. But when he joined the Knights of Malta, that's when I said the man's joined the Knights of Malta and he's went over to the other side because you can't be a member of the Knights and be loyal to the truth. You're ultimately going to be told what to do. And I told him in the letter that I wrote to him, I said, of all these wonderful accomplishments you've made, now these Knights of Malta have brought you into their branch to make themselves look good with your high accomplishments. Well, exactly. Uh, look, I'm trying to understand 
uh, why they're suing you. Uh, what is it suing me over what? Oh, oh, a letter? No. An He's mad at me and everybody else at Monada Malta. He's mad at me for that. And so now he's bringing me into a suit, which I think he may possibly rightly have with other people, including his ex-wife, over his business and supposedly his business being lost. But, uh, but uh, that's an issue that doesn't involve me. I've never, ever involved myself in anything to defraud or hurt the man. All I ever said was he was a night of Malta. Um, Eric, you kick the last half hour of the... Uh, it will probably be uh, deleted if the uh, sound is just so awful. Uh, but this is an important uh, topic. You're actually going to have to pay a lawyer uh, to plead your case before That's right. That's right, or I'm going to have to fly to Hawaii. And if I can't find a lawyer this week because I got a motion to be heard on September 12th, o'clock in the morning. If I can't find a lawyer soon, I'm going to have to do it myself. So Why would you have to fly to Hawaii? Because I, if I can't find a lawyer to plead for me, I'm going to have to appear myself. Do you have jurisdiction? Um, no. That's the issue. And one of my, my pleadings that's going in shortly is the court has no impersonum jurisdiction because there's no minimum contacts. I have no minimum contacts with the state of Hawaii. And the judge, I'm sure, will rule in my favor along with other plaintiffs that are putting in a similar motion to dismiss the lack of the court. The, there's no minimum contacts for the court to assume impersonal jurisdiction. And in this day and age, that can't all be done by email? No, I wrote a letter to the judge, and I asked him if I can be on the phone, and, I'll t and I will defend my motions on the phone. The judge, I was called by, uh, by Barron, who's the clerk there in Hawaii, and he told me the judge wants everybody to appear in person. Well, you know, if it was over the state line, but Hawaii is as far as you can go. That's an expensive... Uh, yeah. Look, Cain and Hollywood to cost me a lot of And this is what he's about. He wants me to spend money and be inconvenienced and be damaged by his little legal procedure here. I already had a couple lawyer, a lawyer tell me there in Hawaii, he said, we know he's a nut. He's a nut. So, and I'm sure the judge knows he's a nut because he's included all these people that never damaged him. He's destroying himself. That's what he's doing. He ought to sue people that really damaged him, but oh no, he's going to name me and some other people. So, okay, that's fine, but he's trying to damage us as much as possible to get us to spend our money to travel to Hawaii or pay an attorney and blah, 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 blah. This is his little vengeance. I'm a little confused here. Is American civil law so strict uh, that you you have to get on a plane, uh, rent a hotel, and, uh, you know, this is not uh, a, a minor expense of your life. It's a major pain in the neck. And, well, can't you countersue? Is this, you know, what... what That's right. You'll be countersued. It's going to happen in federal district court in Harrisburg. I'm already working on it with my attorney. So you're spending a lot of money over an issue that's really, really you can't do it. I never hurt him. I never damaged him. I'll give you the charges. You want to hear them? 
complaint for conspiracy and the commission of identity theft, extortion, libel, whatever libel him. I'll call them a night of Malta. Public disclosure of private facts, invasion of privacy, computer crime, unfair trade, deceptive business practices, and organized crime and violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, declaration of Leonard Horowitz. So these are all the things. He has some 35 to 40 counts that he has included me in all of them. I never did any of them. That's a very wacky uh, uh, subpoena, let me tell you. Uh, this, is it. this is the complaint, and by the way, he never served me a summons. So there was no imp- so it's improper services, no impersonum jurisdiction. There was no summons with a complaint. So one of my motions is for the judge to dismiss because he had no summons. The court has no impersonum jurisdiction without a summons. And so Have I you spoken with Alan Jones? Uh, look, is Alex Jones going to uh, show up? No, no, he has an attorney. And his motion is uh, to dismiss for the court lacks impersonum jurisdiction, and I'm sure it has to do with minimum contact. He'll deal with an attorney. Jones is busy working for the Pope. His, his father-in-law, Edward Low, Low uh, Nichols, is a knight of Malta. So it, Jones will be fine. You're saying Jones uh, is on the bad guy's team? That's right. I always have. William Cooper was right. And then Joe and Jones now is connected to the Knights of Malta through his father-in-law, who is Ed, Edward Lowe Nichols. His father-in-law is Jewish. His father-in-law is a Knight of Malta. Well, well, I got to tell you, uh, my information is his wife is Jewish. Well, I'm not sure if that's true or not. I kind of doubt it. Nichols is not a Jewish name. Uh, sounds pretty uh, Jewish right. to me, but I, uh, well, I've heard not. this um, over the years that his stuff on Israel makes no sense because uh, by law his children are Jewish and stuff like this. I can't prove that. I, I wonder about that because you got to remember Tex Mars, the one who hates the Jews and everything is Jew, Jew, Jew. Tex Mars married Alex Jones and his wife. He married who? Married Alex Jones to his wife. Oh Lord. Yeah. So so no, they're, they're all busy working. Who did the Who did the buffet? Pardon? Who did the buffet? I don't know. <laughs> so my uh, point so is, Jones, Jones is Jones is working for the Vatican. He's got a huge website. It's a multi-million dollar website. And he never ta- he'll talk about the Bilderbergers, but he never talks about the Knights of Malta running the Bilderbergers. He never talks about Queen Beatrix of, of the Netherlands being a dame of Malta. He never talks about Queen Elizabeth II being a dame of Malta. He never talks about uh, all these key men on the Bilderbergers being Knights of Malta. He never tells about Joseph Redinger, who was one of the founders, was a Jesuit, and also Prince Bernhard, who was a Knight of Malta. He never goes to the Knights of Malta. It's Bilderbergers and the elite and Bilderbergers and the elite. All right. Well, um, I know Jones. Uh, we've met, and we, uh, he has featured me at one time. Now he won't anymore. I haven't heard from him in years. Yeah. Well, I'm on his bad list. I'm anything, not sure if you why. If you say anything about the Vatican, and you bring your work to the conclusion that the Vatican's behind 9-11 or these other matters, he's not going to talk to you. Well, it's worked out that way. 
Uh, I gave him uh, one piece of information that he used and spread worldwide. Uh, but after that, uh, all the rest, he didn't want to hear from me. Yeah. <laughs> so, in short, we're looking for a good lawyer in Honolulu. I'm looking for a good lawyer in Honolulu, so if someone can give me a hand, I'd appreciate that. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go there myself. I don't, I don't want to believe it happens. Look, I'm not sure to get out there, Deb. The sound is so terrible. Tell okay. people how to uh, get a hold of you to uh, if they have a lawyer. You can call me at my office phone, 610-589-5300. Do it one more time. 610-589-5300. Five three zero zero. All right. Now, in short, uh, this segment, by the way, uh, didn't go well sound-wise. Uh, uh, let's put it that way. It, uh, it, well, it isn't our best segment. But nevertheless, you've got a, a lawsuit. And, again, I looked up Sherry King. She sells, uh, you know, uh, supplements. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know anything I, about I her. I've never said anything about her. I, she's irrelevant, but yet what we have here is a conspiracy between these two to attack me. So that's what we have. Yeah, but it's a conspiracy uh, ultimately over nothing. And that's right. That's why I asked him in a private letter that I sent to him to please remove him from the lawsuit. He's not going to do it. Hi, my name is Alan Lamont. I'm doing an audio now on the Rothschild dynasty and really what I'm going to bring out is that they are guardians of the Vatican treasury. I've been asked to, you know, do a lot more on the Jews and I understand that I really need to do that as well. It's, it's good to expose the real power structure over the one world government, which is the Jesuit order, but there is also a Jewish uh, network that, that, you know, does cover the banking system and covers the earth. So, uh, I'm going to begin by explaining about the Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 2, page 497. It admits that it's a somewhat curious sequel to the attempt to set up a Catholic competitor to the Rothschilds. That at the present time, in 1905, the latter are the guardians of the papal treasure. Now that's in the Jewish Encyclopedia. And it admits very, very clearly that they are the guardians of the papal treasure. So that is their uh, place in this structure. And, you know, this statement is true. It's not propaganda. Uh, they have an immense fortune. Uh, but it's for the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, really, the Vatican Bank rules all banks. And also, you know, you can go on the JewishEncyclopedia.com 
and you know all of that information is actually there. Now it's the Jesuit general who you know governs the Rothschild dynasty through his select high Jesuits. The Rothschilds are actually subordinate to the Knights of Malta. They are Knights of Malta, and you know high-level masons. And really, the the Jesuits used the Rothschilds to fund the Illuminati movement and the Jewish House of Rothschild. You know, has really been controlled by the Jesuits, you know, from the very beginning. And they're nothing but nice of Rome. Many of the most uh, powerful, you know, bankers on the earth today are Jewish. But it's run by Gentiles. That's very important to understand. And one of the most powerful uh, organizations overseeing this is the Knights of Malta. Every papal knighthood has, a, you know, an area in the structure that they are actually, you know, they govern. And the Rothschilds, subordinate to the Knights of Malta, and the Jesuit Superior General, even today, you know, uh, govern this banking dynasty. And because the Jews are in positions in Wall Street and the Federal Reserve, you know, and the Bank of England, many point to the, uh, you know, the Zionist Jews to say, well, you know, they control the world, you know, they wrote the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, which is really, you know, written by the Jesuits, ruled by the Jesuits. The Jesuit general today, you know, I mean, he's been the most powerful man in the world since uh, Pope Pius restored the order or the company in 1814. And because of the order suppression by the Pope in 1773, the Jesuits began what's called the Bavarian Illuminati. And one of their soldiers, uh, one of their Jesuit soldiers was Adam Weishaupt. Uh, and the Illuminati really absorbed the Jewish house of Rothschild. That's what happened. And as one man very correctly says on a quote on one of my videos recently, you know, that they're not Jewish. And I really do believe that. I believe that they're Gentile. You know, saying that they are Jews, but they are not, you know. Uh, so the Illuminati absorbed, you know the you know masonic structure and really the rothschilds funded this and they are really the financial arm of the jesuits who then made war on the vatican including the pope uh, the roman catholic monarchs of europe and the order of the dominicans uh, this inquisition and crusade was called the french revolution uh, by you know napoleon bonaparte who didn't just persecute the papacy, but he also uh, persecuted the Knights of Malta, and Britain came to the defense, you know, but uh, eventually the Knights of Malta were established again in Malta, but it, it took many years for them to regain their power, and the Catholic heads of state, as in the monarchies, uh, you know, recognized again the Order of Malta, and they regained their position, but they were persecuted by the Jesuit order. See, the Jesuits control all the knights, even though the Knights of Malta govern the Rothschilds. 
and like I say, you know, uh, Bonaparte, he, uh, you know, conducted the war and punished the Knights of Malta, as I've said, driving them, uh, you know, from their home to Russia. Now, this is actually in a book I've got here. It's called Joseph Attard, and it's an excellent book, really. It deals with the history of the Knights of Malta from their beginning up until the time of the persecution of uh, Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte. And it really doesn't go further than that. You know, it really ends at that. And uh, it's called The Knights of Malta by Joseph Attard. You can get this book or maybe look online to buy it. And it deals with the, the whole, uh, you know, siege of Malta and uh, right the way through the 17th century also. Uh, it's just a great book, really. I mean, there's a lot of information online, but I find this is one of the best on the history of the Knights of Malta. And they govern the Rothschilds. So the Rothschilds are Gentiles, you know. And they're nothing but, you know, bankers for the Pope. That's all they are. Nothing more, nothing less. So he would say, you know, the Jesuit general uh, was in... Uh, contact and you know with the house of Rothschild and see the Jesuits control also you know Scottish white Freemasonry and they sought an alliance with the Masonic Baron of the house of Rothschild so you know they're Masonic as well you know they're high level Masons and to accomplish this the general chose a Jesuit who was there you know a German Gentile not a Jew you know Adam Weiss Power was never a Jew that's a lot of disinformation as well he was a Freemason, you know, uh, high Jesuit. And the Rothschilds were Jesuits who used the Jewish background as a facade to cover their sinister activities. The Jesuits walking through, uh, you know, the Rothschild and, you know, the financer Nicholas uh, Biddle sought to gain control of the banking system of the United States of America. Now, the... the Banking system, I'm, I'm covering a lot of issues in this audio, not just the Rothschilds, but, you know, a lot of uh, groups around that, a lot of uh, things that people need to understand. For instance, the banking system today, the Rothschilds are a figurehead and a front for that. The real banking system today is not governed by Jewish bloodlines. It's not governed by, you know, Zionists. It's not. It's governed by the Crown Templars. The Crown Templars are nothing but revived Knight Templar which is the Jesuit order, uh, governed from the what's called the Inner Temple. I've done a lot of uh, videos on this, and, and I don't share a lot in the videos. I've got more on my blog, you know, uh, Vatican New World Order. There's a section there called the Crown, uh, you know, the Vatican Crown Empire, and there's a lot of detail in there about the, the Crown, what the Crown is, you know, and how the Crown governs America, it governs all the banking organizations across the earth through the, what's called the, the Middle and in a temple, which is the temple bar, really. And even in the signing of the Constitution of the United States of America, the word state just means that the United States are really states of the crown. You know, they're still colonies of the crown. But so the Rothschilds are really a front for the crown of London, the city corporation, which is really the, the Knight Templar. You know, the Knight Templar Church, the inner temple, Templar Church still rules the banking system. The Templars did for, you know, many, many years, and that's why they'll persecute, because of their wealth. They never were destroyed. So I've got to bring that revelation when I'm sharing about the Rothschilds. Uh, 
I have to explain that really they're a front for the crown because anything else would just wouldn't really give people the truth, you know. So it's not enough to just say they're nice of Malta, they're nice of Rome. That's not enough. They're actually agents of the crown. That's what they are, you know. And people get confused with this to say, well, how can the Jesuits be Knight Templars? Well, they are in the sense that they are revived Knight Templars in the sense that they took the position of the Templars. You know, I'm not saying that the Jesuits were Knight Templars in the sense that they were when the order was founded, because that's deception. That's not the truth. But what I'm saying is they, right now, took over the crown, you know. They took over uh, that position, you know, of the Knight Templars from London. And that's the real revelation, really, you know, that the Crown Corporation of London uh, really governs the banking system, not the Rothschilds. Okay, moving on. I'm going to make this audio a little longer. I normally do about, you know, 10, 12 minutes and I cut it short, but I think you know, I think it's good to really go deep into the subject because there's, there's much, much deception on the Rothschilds. You'll know that if you really seriously research the New World Order and you're really committed to doing that, you'll understand that there's so much, so much, you know, anti-Semitism. And a lot of people don't deliberately go out to hate the Jews. They just, they see them everywhere. They see them in all these high positions and they, they just connect them all together and just think, well, they rule the New World Order. You know, it's the Jews, you know. Uh, I've already explained, you know, that the Rothschilds were the banking agents of the papacy's church, the Jesuit papacy. And these three financial families, you know, which are the Rothschilds, the Morgans, the Rockefellers, all do the bidding of the Jesuit order, all work for the Crown Corporation because of the, the Jesuit infiltration in their organizations. They do whatever is necessary to destroy, uh, you know, constitutional liberty in America and all across the earth, to bring the Pope to world domination and... That's the truth. You know, they're just really agents of the Vatican. And that's the truth of it. Uh, we see also the Rothschilds. Now, this will surprise people, but it's the truth. You know, they were the bankers that funded, you know, the industrialists and financed even the rise of Hitler. So they're working against their own people. They're working against the Jews. You know, the Rothschilds are not Jews. Uh, there's a lot of people quote that scripture in the book of Revelation where God says that, the, that there's a, you know, there's a, an organized group of people who say they're Jews and they're not, that are saying all of Satan. And I, I believe that's prophetic. I believe it does apply to this whole uh, Jewish uh, conspiracy. There is a Jewish conspiracy. Absolutely. You know, I'm not saying there's not. Of course there is. But it's a conspiracy that is ruled by the Jesuit order. It's always, all roads will always, always, always lead to Rome. Nowhere else. You know, so... <laughs> You know, the Rothschilds are Jewish bankers, okay? But of course, you know, they're interwoven with the Catholic Church and, you know, and with the CIA, you know, they fund a lot of the black ops of the CIA also. They're really just a front organization for the Vatican. And they really, the Jesuits were driven to to use the Rothschilds' uh, Illuminati Masonic movement to control America also because the Jesuits always state this, and it's very important to hear this and know this. Very simple bit of information, but it will understand, it will give you understanding to a lot that's happening. 
the Jesuits say, let us never appear in our own name, but in another name. And that happens all the time. I mean, I've, I've, I've put out some recent videos on the, the Mormon church, you know, how... And, you know, in my videos, I can't share a lot in a video. You can't. I mean, there's only so much you can share, you know. I just, you know, cover things very, very broadly. But uh, the, even the Mormons, you know, from the very foundation, it was Masonic. The Illum there is a Masonic Illuminati movement. Uh, most of the presidents of the United States were high-level Masons. And, and it's the same with Great Britain, you know. Same with Parliament, same with the House of Lords. The whole system is governed by high-level Masonry. And... Jesuits always appear in another name. For instance, the you know the cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, uh, they were all founded by high-level masons. That's the truth. So they always appear in another name, not their own name. The same with the Rothschilds, you know. And uh, you know, one man has called them, you know, the an engine of destruction, which is exactly what it is. Okay, I'd like to talk about Adam Weishaup, because it's important to cover him here. Right, okay. Jesuit Adam Weishaup, because that's what he is, you know, he never renounced the order. Jesuit Adam Weishaup uh, was born in 1748 and died in 1811. And he was the founder of the Illuminati in 1776, born in Ingolstadt, Germany, which was in the heart of the Roman Catholic uh, Bavaria, uh, from which originated the Order's Thirty Years' War, which was 1618 to 1648. Adam Weishaupt was a white German Gentile who was educated by the Jesuits in 1775, and he became a notorious professor of the Vatican's murderous canon law, uh, including the evil Counter Reformation. You know, so from the very beginning. The Illuminati was just really just enforcing the, the counter-reformation, you know, of the Council of Trent. Uh, since Pope Clement, you know, his bill of extinction was not enforced in Lutheran Germany, the order, uh, you know, flourished at its University of Ingolstadt, out of which Adam Weishaupt established the Illuminati in 1776. And he joined the Grand Orient Masonic Lodge. And that was really the headquarters of the Illuminati, was France. For many, many, many years it was France. And in 1777, he uh, also joined with the House of Rothschilds. And they became the guardians of the Vatican Treasury, as I've previously said. And so, you know, uh, you know, I have to share this information when talking about the Rothschilds. Because, you know, it's all, they're all connected, you know. So I'd have to just give, uh, you know... Just, you know, little bits of information. Someone said to me recently, you know, there's no point in that. You're going to wake people up, wake people up, give names, give dates. So that's where I'm going, really, you know. Uh, I think a lot more, I'm just going to share a lot more information for people here. So this is all online. People can find this, you know. One man said, why don't, why don't you give more sources? Why, look, if you want to find the truth, you'll find the truth. You know, what you have to do is type in the Knights of Malta, uh, you know, the Jesuits, whatever. All of this information is on the Internet. You need to seek to find the truth. That, that's the, you know, you put the time into doing the research. It's all there. That's how I found out the truth. That's how others have found out the truth. And everyone's helping each other by giving each other information and revelation and sources. But, uh, you know, with these audios and with all these information, like our John Phelps, you, you know, uh, Craig Austin, they share a lot of information. But you need to take that information and then do your own research and, and look at the sources and, and, and just, and you know, 
doors will open up and other doors will open up and, and you'll eventually see the whole structure but it takes time you know so with the information i've given go and do research on this go and look at the knights of malta how they're connected to the jesuits and how the, the knights of malta govern the rothschild uh, dynasty uh i mean you'll also find ex-british intelligence officer dr john coleman you know he exposes how the rothschilds and even the rockefellers well, simply doesn't come close to some of the members of the Committee of 300. But, but, this, I want to say, <laughs> you know, we want to say this for a while, but I just haven't really, you know, I keep forgetting to bring it really, is that the Committee of 300 doesn't exist. It's really the Pilgrim Society. The Pilgrim Society, they say it's a Protestant, you know, organization. Well, it's really not. It's really a Jesuit-ruled, Jesuit-governed organization. And really the Pilgrim Society is a, you know, society which, which interconnects with all of the knighthoods. It kind of oversees the whole roundtable, the CFR, Council of Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, all of these groups, the Club of Rome. Uh, you know, really, this roundtable is governed by the Pilgrim Society. It's a place where all of the knights and all of the organizations can come together and they interconnect with one another. And really, that is where they, they plan, you know, the agenda for the next decade ahead and the next decade ahead. And the Pilgrim Society is really the organization that oversees this whole knighthood structure governing the uh, not the committee of 300 i mean dr john coleman brings out a lot of good information that's what's very very difficult isn't it when you look at a lot of revelation these men bring a lot of great truth a lot of great truth and you think yeah this uh, yeah, okay uh, you know this is spot on i'm accepting this i'm gonna but but but, but you'll find as far as I'm concerned, and this is just me, this is me, anyone that's ex-British intelligence, as far as I'm concerned, I want nothing to do with it. Most of the people that say they're whistleblowers, and there, there have been some, uh, Springmeyer brought out the, the Illuminati bloodline. As far as I'm concerned, he was, you know, he was okay. The man was absolutely uh, okay, you know, and his revelation was great. But there's a lot of others, like Leo Zagami and, you know, John Coleman who come out and say that, you know, they've defected and they were an insider and so on. And, you know, you find that a lot of their information is good, but then they bring disinformation. And really, uh, what John Coleman here is doing is covering for the Order of the Garter. He's covering for the, uh, the you know, the powers that really rule this structure from the crown. And uh, just don't believe it. The Committee 300 doesn't exist. It's the Pilgrim Society. You know, controlled by the Order of the Garter. These are the inner core groups, you know, ruled by the Knights of Malta, the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. There's other branches today called, the, you know, the Order of St. John of Jerusalem and others, but a lot of them are, you know, really, when the uh, Knights of Malta were persecuted by, uh, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte, after that there was many branches, you know, of the Knights of Malta began to be established in different territories on the earth, but the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. That's the real Knights of St. John. That, you know, so there's a lot. Understand it. Don't get distracted by looking at other branches of the Knights of Malta. Okay? Uh, you know, okay, I don't want to wander into that. But, uh, okay. Getting back to my topic. The, uh, you know, Dr. John Coleman exposes the Committee of 300, but that's deception. It's the Pilgrim Society. Okay? Okay. Moving on. Okay, the Jews were brought into positions of power within the banking system in 1066 by the Norman Anglo-Saxon monarchs 
For this, they accept it being controlled, which they always do, you know. It's the same with Chimane Paris today. If you look at Chimane Paris today, yeah, he's a knight of St. George, you know, he's a, he's a, which is a Vatican knighthood. Uh, Netanyahu, uh, for me, I, I really believe he's a high Jesuit. The man will never bow before the Pope. Never once seen him, you know, bow in subordination. You know, you know, he, he's very, very high in the Jesuit structure. I believe that. But, but, you know, the Jews, in order to have positions of power, they have to be in subordination. They have to be controlled. They have to accept that because that's that's the system. There's a gener- there's a structure that's been in place for generations. And it's the monarchs that control the politicians, that control the, the merchants of the earth. In the book of Revelation, chapter 17, we see that Rome, which is Rome, is that great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. And in chapter 18, we see the merchants. So we have a structure. We have four things that has been revealed. We have the beast, which is the man of sin, the final antichrist. We have ten kings that give him the power. That's the monarchies. Okay? So the monarchies give the Vatican their power and their strength. And then next to that you have the merchants of the earth. They're really just the knights of Rome, you know. And the knights receive their wealth from this Vatican structures. And the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, and all, all the other Gentile knights, you know, that rule this uh, banking system. When the Vatican is destroyed, no one buys the merchandise. The Bible says they even weep. You know, who's likened to that great city? Okay, so, you know, uh, the Jews were really brought into the uh, Babylonian Brotherhood, and they had to accept that control. Uh, and also, you've got to remember that the law of banking is known as International Maritime Admiralty Law. And this maritime law governing banking today is based on the Vatican's canon law. Uh, you know, and that's all the war banks, known as the central banks. They get control from the Knights of Malta, the SMOM, the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, control from Switzerland. Switzerland is really the heart of the banking system. That's the real center of power governing the banking system worldwide. And the Federal Reserve, uh, also the Federal Reserve pays the Bank of England, which finally ends up in the Swiss banks of the international settlements, uh, you know, and there's a, there's a true saying, you know, if you want to know who's in power, follow the money. Well, the money always leads back to Rome. There's many front organizations to launder money, to give money. The Rothschilds are one of those front organizations to uh, give money, you know, uh, uh, to what the Jesuits are doing on the earth. I mean, even in the 19th century, the Pope approached the Rothschilds to borrow money. And the Rothschilds are very friendly with the Pope, you know, causing one journalist to sarcastically say the Rothschild has kissed the hand of the Pope, and the order has at last been restored. Uh, there's a good website if you want to go. It's called BibleBelievers.org. BibleBelievers.org. There's a lot of this information, you know. Uh, it also covers many, many aspects of the Jesuit oaths and so on. Good site. Uh, right. Also... You know, the Rothschilds are what's called Knights of the British Empire. They are controlled by the Order of the Garter. All knighted really are. They really, really are. I know people don't really accept that. They say, well, the Knights of Malta are the most powerful. I used to think that <laughs> for quite a while, you know. And some of my earlier videos are kind of mentioned that. But I'm not going to take them off. You know, they're out there now, and that was months ago. 
But I found through my research, I started looking into the, as I've said before, the, the crown in a temple. You can do this on the internet. Just type in the, you know, the crown in a temple, the middle temple. They'll take it to the website, and you can see a picture on that website of the Pegasus white horse, and the, you've got the Jesuit, Jesuit sunburst around it. You know, the, you know, the sun symbol around this white horse. This white horse used to be a symbol for the monarchy in Britain before the lions, the three lions. Uh, but it's also a symbol for the Order of the Garter. And we see there, you know, we see the, the, the temple controlling the Order of the Garter. And the Jesuit seal is there. It's there. It's all over the place, you know. So, it's, you know, it's the Order of the Garter. They rule all the nightmares. That's why even, you know, the, uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Bush, Herbert Walker, you know, senior, uh, were knighted in the Order of the Bath. The Order of the Bath is really another... And knighthood, the, the sec, and second in command to the Order of the Garter, you know. Robert Mugabe, as I brought out in previous videos, the easy Order of the Bath, you know. It's just a lower level Order of the Garter, knighthood, really. Let's <coughs> get a drink of water. Brother. Okay. Uh, Amshul Mayor Rothschild, uh, there's pictures of him, I've got them on the videos, he wears a Maltese cross. Uh, you know, he's a knight of Malta, you know. Uh, there's a mayor, Carl, of Rothschild. He's decorated, you know, with the Knights of Malta medals and, you know, uh, Mayor Rothschild. So the Jesuits control the Jewish bloodlines today, and that includes the Rockefellers, the Warbugs, all of them, you know, uh, through the Smom, the, the Knights of Malta. And... They control the CFR. I don't want to go over information I've already shared, but it's very simple, the structure. Once people can see it, it's very, it's very easy, you know. Once you see it, you know, you can just, your eyes are completely opened, you know, to the whole structure, the power structure. And, you know, to, it is governed by the Crown, you know, it is governed by the Jesuits from the London Crown, and they oversee America, they govern America, you know, but there is... Uh, Jesuit universities across the earth and people think well how can the Jesuits control all governments how can they control all politicians how can they do it now this is the key to it this is the key to their success is that uh, universities that, that's how they train uh, the world leaders you know from, from Oxford and Cambridge and Eton and Harvard and you know Princeton and you know Georgetown and, and you know uh, there's many many other uh, Jesuit uh, universities. I, I, I've got a uh, a page on my site about the Jesuit alumni. You know, if you go on my website, there's actually a, and also if you want if you want some free uh, PDF books, you know, you know, internet books. You go on my site, go on my channel, and uh, on the right hand side there's a link for the Vatican New World Order. Uh, on the first page, on the right hand side section, you'll actually see a, a, a title uh, called, you know, free. PDF and their books. Click on that, and it's all there. It's all there. You know, uh, and there's information on the alumni Jesuits, and and for, so the Jesuits control world leaders from universities. That's what they do, and they're brought into high-level masonry, and then they're brought into the knighthood structure, uh, and then they're placed in the positions of power. This is how the Jesuits do it. So, okay, bring a conclusion. The Rothschilds are merely what's called, uh, Eric John Phelps calls them court Jews, which is what they are, you know, really what they are. 
the coach used for the papacy and it always will be unless they play up but the papacy will simply annihilate them by any means necessary uh, if you look at what's going on in the world today you can see clearly that the Roman Catholic Church clearly are in control and the Rothschilds have been under the Black's power since the 18th century and they're very very careful you know uh, because they understand that they, they have to be under subordination. The, the Jesuits have controlled governments through the monarchies for generations, and all politicians today are brought into the high-level Vatican knighthoods. That's the only way that they can be a prime minister. Winston Churchill was Order of the Garter. He was a knight of Malta. Tony Blair, same thing. He's not Order of the Garter, but he's a knight of Malta. Uh, Margaret Thatcher is Order of the Garter. Edward Heath, Order of the Garter. Sir John Bajor. Order of the Garter, all of these ex-British Prime Ministers are always brought back, you know, to the power that rules Great Britain and Westminster, and that's the Order of the Garter. Same with American politics, you know, and it's, see, it's all Vatican bloodlines, it's all papal bloodlines, it's all Catholic heads of state monarchs that rule the governments across the earth. And there's this illusion of democracy and governments and parliaments and politicians, and it's all an illusion, you know. The kings of the earth give the power of the beast, and that's literal, you know, it's the monarchies that rule this whole structure. The Rothschilds are just regarded as bankers, just mere, you know, merchant bankers, that's all they are, the merchants of the earth. They are below the kings, there is no way. Uh, Craig Oxley brought a, a, a comment once on his video, and it was, a, just, it was on Alex Jones, actually, you know, quite a while ago, well, a couple of years ago. And, you know, he talked about Evelyn de Rothschild, how he's sitting in there, the BBC and all this, you know, and he was on Alex Jones, you know, disinformation broadcast network, you know. And he said, you don't see the Queen or the Pope or anyone of real power sitting in the BBC or, or anywhere like this or on an Alex Jones show. And that's the truth, you know. The real power is not the Rothschilds. They're simply, you know, Jew bankers for the papacy. Uh, so... I'll tell you what, I'll share other information, maybe other subjects. I'll just, I'll just let this uh, audio just go on, you know. Uh, why not? Okay. Right, I would just like to just uh, talk about The temple, the third Jewish temple. Now, the, okay, it's totally off my subject, but I just want to bring this up as well. The third Jewish temple will be rebuilt. And a lot of Christians are very confused by this issue because they're, they're waiting for a man to sit in the temple, and only then will we know that that man could be the Antichrist. That's according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it says clearly that that man of sin will exalt himself above all that is called God and is worshipped so that he is God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, only then can we know, really, you know, the Antichrist, you know, who he is, because he will sit in that third Jewish temple. But, even though the Jews today, through the Temple Institute, even though they have all of the instruments and uh, everything in place, really, to build a temple, the Pope of Rome today has been sitting in the temple of God, you know, and the Vatican was, you know, a Christian church. Let's be clear about that. Yes, it's Babylonian, you know. It's a sun god religion today, but it was Christian. 
and he sits today in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Exalt himself above all that is called God. It's a throne. I mean, you go to St. Peter's, it's a throne. You know, I've got some family that, well, my family are actually uh, Italian. Half, I'm half Italian. My mother's family are from Rome. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous, you know. I've talked to them about, you know, they've went to the Vatican many times. And it's, it's just full of paganism. It's full of idols and graven images. It's absolute. If you are, if you are a real Christian, spirit-filled Christian, born of the Spirit of God, and, you know, and you know the truth and you know the Lord, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you know, you know, and you go into the Vatican. I mean, honestly, it will it will grieve your spirit. It will it will grieve you to look at the, what it is. You know, the Bible says that Babylon has fallen, has become the habitation of devils. In the Book of One Corinthians, it reveals that uh, you know, behind an idol or graven image, is a devil, is an evil spirit, is a demon. So the Vatican is filled with demonic power, it's satanic, you know, it's the habitation of devils, and so really, you know, that is where the seat of Satan is, <clears throat> you know, <coughs> Revelation talks about where Jesus says, I know where Satan's seat is, talking about Pergamon, but they moved that to Rome, you know, and the Caesars really just became, you know, high priests of Babylon, the Babylonian religion, Nimrod religion, and the popes today have that same title of Pontifex Maximus, all, all I'm really bringing out is that it's, it's, it's not just Babylonian. It's not just an apostate church. It's not even just a backslidden church. It's the seat of Satan. Okay? It's the seat of the Antichrist. The Bible says, The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And all the world wandered after the beast. There's one place today where all of the presidents and all of the prime ministers and all of the governments and leaders across the earth send their ambassadors and their presidents go to bow before a man called the Pope. And that's the Vatican. There's no other place on earth where all religions can go, and all presidents can go, and all ambassadors can go, but Rome, to bow in subordination to the man of sin, right? And the Bible says that, you know, that man of sin will be revealed. But he's, he's been revealed. The mystery of iniquity was working in Rome at the time, and Paul was explaining that in 2 Thessalonians. It does already work. And it will lead up to the revealing of the man of sin. That happened with the papal throne being established, after Pope Sylvester became the temporal ruler of Rome, and the papacy today is the kingdom of Antichrist. And the whole world will wander after the beast. So here we have the, the, the Vatican ruling the monarchs, ruling the merchant knighthood orders, ruling this whole one world government today from Rome, that great city that reigns over the kings of the earth, and the Pope of Rome. I mean, come on, I mean, go on YouTube, go and just, 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 just type in Obama meets the Pope, or, or you know. And, you know, I've got it more my videos. And just, you know, he's given a Masonic handshake and he's covering it with his left hand, you know. He just, you know, incidentally, Pope Benedict, you know. God, you know. He's a Knight of Malta, you know. He was a Jesuit-trained Knight of Malta before he was <laughs> Pope, you know. Uh, he's just a high-level mason. He's just, you know, <laughs> you know. He's just a, a Jesuit-trained Knight. That's all he is, you know. The Pope is Adolfo Nicholas, uh, the black Pope, the real Pope from the Church of Jesu in Rome, the real power over the papacy, uh, has been since the 1800s. And any Pope who, uh, you know, resists the Jesuits, the poison, the Jesuits will never, ever take a chance again. They, you know, 
they will always position Jesuit trained, you know, knights to be the popes of Rome. That's the same with the Holy See and the whole structure of the Vatican organization is governed by high Jesuits. Always will be. Always will be. Uh, you know, that is the way that the Jesuits rule the papacy. And there's a lot of bishops and cardinals, you know, who have no revelation of this. A lot of the priesthood have no revelation of this. But that's the truth. Uh, okay. Time to bring a conclusion now because it's getting under 40 minutes. Right, okay. The Sotjus Temple. That's my conclusion. The Sotjus Temple will be rebuilt. And yes, I believe the Antichrist will sit in that temple showing himself that he is God. But if you're a Christian listening to me, understand this. The Antichrist, the Pope of Rome, sits in the temple of God today, exalting himself above all is called God. And the world wanders after the beast. Every president, every world, I mean, look at John Paul II's funeral. You know, all the leaders of the earth, all the kings, all the queens, all the presidents, all the high-level knights of Babylon the Great were there. They were there in subordination. You saw President Clinton and Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. on their knees, on their knees in prayer and subordination. You know, before the pontiff, the high priest of Babylon. So, okay. Thanks for listening. My name is Alan Lamont. Uh, go to vaticanassassins.org or onhivemind.com or spirituallysmart.com. There's many, many, many websites that will give you revelation. But as I've said previously, you know, you can't just listen to audios and, and let people say, people say, uh, you, know, you know, you need to give more sources. There's a lot of sources out there. There's a lot of sources. Uh, uh, I've, I've talked to people who have watched so many videos from other people, and some of mine, and Eric's, and Oxley's, and, uh, and then they come back and say, oh, but I don't understand. I say, well, how do you think they got their revelation? Where do you think they got their information? You've got to do research on the Knights of Rome. You know? Every world president is either a Knight of Rome, controlled by the monarchs, or they're alumni Jesuit trained from Jesuit universities. All the evidence is out there. It's there to find. Okay, thanks for listening. God bless.
particular topic is so serious that I will venture rather to say nothing, very little. But I'd rather let history and the quotes speak for themselves. So it might become tedious to see quote after quote after quote, but the fact of the matter is, then it's not me saying it, it's historic fact being put before you, and then you decide for yourself whether the picture makes sense or whether it doesn't make sense. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy. Revelation 17, verse 3. Here is this church controlling this scarlet-colored beast. Here is an interesting uh, quote from Popery, Puseism, and Jesuitism. At what then do the Jesuits aim? According to them, they only seek the greater glory of God, but if you examine the facts, you will find that they aim at universal dominion alone. You see, Rome had lost universal dominion, and the Protestant Reformation had been a major problem in this issue. A major problem. They have rendered themselves indispensable to the Pope, who without them could not exist, because Catholicism is identified with them. They have rendered them indispensable, themselves indispensable to governors and hold revolutions in their hands. And in this way, either under one name or another, it is they who rule the world. You see, the papacy has crowned itself ruler of the entire world. The Pope is the ruler of the entire world. That's the Holy Roman Empire spread over the entire planet. The Jesuit order therefore stands before us as the embodiment of a system which aims at temporal political domination. And that over the whole world. You will say to me, surely China will not be subject? Well, we already wrote, read a quote by the Jesuit general himself where he says he controls China. Who controls communism? The Jesuits created it and therefore they controlled it. They practiced it in their, in their uh, South American examples where they practiced it before they instituted it. Very interesting. This is Count von Hermsbruch, 1911, German noble and ex-Jesuit, who says this very thing. At what then do the Jesuits aim? According to them, they seek to the glory of God, but if you examine the fact, you will find they aim at universal dominion alone. It is they who rule the world, one quote after the other. Moreover, the Pope has thousands of secret agents worldwide. They include the Jesuits, the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta, Opus Dei, and others, the Vatican's intelligence service and its field resources, are second to none. Even Dave Hunt, American Baptist historian, says that. So, let's have a look at some of these institutions. Let's have a look at Freemasons. The Grand Design Exposed says, the truth is the Jesuits of Rome have perfected Freemasonry to be their most magnificent and effective tool accomplishing their purposes among Protestants. Now surely, 
the members of Freemasonry themselves must be deceived because if they saw it, they wouldn't do it, right? So actually, the order is being used and they themselves are deceived. And only within the order, higher up, are those chosen ones who know and they are controlled by the Jesuits for Rome. Very clever. Very clever to make Protestantism do what you cannot do openly because you have been fingered by Protestantism as the Antichrist. So this is very interesting. In 1816, John Adams wrote to President Jefferson, Shall we not have a regular swarms of them here in as many disguises as only a king of the gypsies can assume? Dressed as painters, publishers, writers, and schoolmasters, if ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is this society of Loyola. They didn't mince words in those days. Eh? Wow. That's the New Jesuits. There's the, the quote. Everything I say has got a quote. Now, many writers warned of this great conspiracy of the Jesuits. Samuel Morse, remember, the founder or the inventor of the Morse Code, wrote, the author undertakes to show that a conspiracy against the liberties of this republic, the United States, is now in full action. Under the direction of the wily Prince Metternich of Austria, who knowing the impossibility of obliterating this troublesome example of a great free nation by force of arms, is attempting to accomplish his object through an agency of an army of Jesuits. The array of facts and arguments going to prove the existence of such a conspiracy will astonish any man who opens the book with the same incredulity as we did. So, those are the people that the presidents believed were behind all these conspiracies. President Abraham Lincoln himself said the Protestants of both the North and the South would surely unite to exterminate the priests and the Jesuits if they could learn how the priests, the nuns, the monks, which daily land on our shores under the pretext of preaching their religion, are nothing else but emissaries of the Pope of Napoleon III, who was a high Freemason, of course, and other despots of Europe, to undermine our institutions, alienate the hearts of our people, from our constitution and our laws, destroy our schools and prepare a reign of anarchy, here as they have done in Ireland, in Mexico and in Spain, and wherever there are any people who want to be free. That's quite a statement. Fifty years in the Church of Rome, the priest Father Chenicky wrote, he used to be a Catholic and then became a Protestant, this war would never have been possible without the sinister influence of the Jesuits. We owe it to popery that we now see our land reddened with the blood of a noblest son. Abraham Lincoln, 1865, 16th President of the United States, Lincoln's private letters that were burnt by his son Robert, restated by Charles Chinicky, who was the personal confidant of the President. In a letter dated 22 January 1870, Massini wrote to Pike, now Albert Pike is this high mason who wrote this the manual, if you like, of Scottish Freemasonry, he said the following, we must allow all of the federations to continue just as they are. It must appear as things are as they were in the beginning. With their systems, their central authorities, and diverse modes of correspondence between high grades of the same right, organized as they are at present, but we must create a super right, which will remain unknown, to which we will call those masons of high degree 
whom we shall select. With regard to our brothers in masonry, these men must be pledged to the strictest secrecy. Through this supreme right, we will govern all Freemasonry, which will become the one international center, the more powerful, because its direction will be unknown. Now, Albert Pike wrote a letter to Mancini, that was dated August 15, 1871, in which he propagated that there should be a world order, a one order where all nations are under the control of one central organization. And in order to achieve this, they plan, and there are numerous quotes for this, so I've put a number on the screen, because some will say, I don't trust this, I don't trust that, I don't trust the other. There are references down there, there are references up there, there will be references in other slides, so it comes from different sources. He said, and this was, by the way, on display in the British Museum, and could be seen there until it was taken away. The First World War, to overthrow the power of the Tsars in Russia, protector of orthodoxy, and bring about an atheistic communistic state. Did that happen? Yes. Now that was written long before this event. Long before this event. This was written in 1871, but this war broke out in 1940. The Second World War, that's also written long before the event, to originate between Great Britain and Germany, to strengthen communism as, as antithesis to the Judea Christian culture, and bring about a Zionist state in Israel. Did it achieve this objective? Yes. In fact, after this war, Israel, in its present form, was reinstated under the protection of Britain. And then, interestingly enough, a Third World War, a Middle Eastern war involving, involving Judaism and Islam, and spreading internationally. That's fascinating. Is that uh, on the cards, or what do you think? Certainly sounds like we are on track. Well, here's another quote. Uh, just in case people don't like that quote, Massini with Pike developed a plan for three world wars so that eventually every nation would be willing to surrender its national sovereignty to a, to a world government. The first war was to end the Tsarist regime in Russia, the second to allow the Soviet Union to control Europe, the third world war was to be in the Middle East between Muslim and Jews and would result in Armageddon. Interesting. Now, how were they going to do it? Let's read what Albert Pike wrote about these wars and uh, how they were going to be uh, unleashed. He wrote, quote, We shall unleash the nihilist and the atheist. So the destroyer and the atheist. And we will provoke a formidable social cataclysm which in its horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism. Origin of savagery in the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the minority of revolutionaries will exterminate these destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity will receive the pure light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer. The destruction of Christianity and atheism both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Wow, what a clever plan. So you rub the two systems which you create up against the other. You create atheism as an antithesis to the Judeo-Christian culture. You have these two clash until they rub each other up. And then out of that, 
you will get a new world order where you have a new religion which is far more esoteric and actually honors faith. Isn't that a rather clever plan? Well, it's very successful. That is why Ordo Abkao, Ordo Abkao is the the verse, if you like, that uh, Freemasonry uses. This is one of their documents, remember, that I photographed in a Masonic lodge. And Weishaupt is the father of Jacobinism. You will remember that we spoke about that in Revelation chapter 11. And Jacobinism was the power that propagated the French Revolution. And we did this in Re Revelation chapter 11 where the Bastille was stormed, liberty leading, the goddess of reason was enthroned instead of Christianity. So Christianity was removed and another reign began. Uh, the monarchy was deposed and Louis and his wife lost their heads for the heading of Marie Antoinette and that put an end to that monarchy. Then Robespierre, he headed the Jacobin clubs and a reign of terror commenced which in its bloodshed and its violence rivals anything that we have seen today. The great philosopher, if you like, of the French Revolution was Voltaire. Now you can look it up in any Encyclopedia Britannica they will tell you who Voltaire was. He was a Jesuit. They will say, of course, he was a renegade Jesuit that left the Roman Catholic Church to write against it. No, no, no. He was just playing the role perfectly. Because they were setting up an antithesis. Do you remember the promise that a Jesuit makes? That I will take either side and do it perfectly as long as in the end the Mother Church wins? Well, to hold the pen is to be at war. The social contract man is born free and everywhere he's in chains. One man thinks himself the master of others but remains more the slave than they are. That's true. But what if you created the slavery in order to create the misery in order to create the revolution? Isn't that possible? 
So the philosophers come together and they write a new constitution for this planet called Human Rights. The Declaration of Human Rights, 1798. Declaration of Human Rights. You have the all-seeing eye of Lucifer. You have the serpent with a tail in the mouth, the life-giving serpent, the eternal serpent. And you have this funny little Jacobin hat over there on the end of the spear. You look at the whole thing over there. And then you have this bundle of rods tied together, which are called what? Do you remember what they were called? Fasciae. Fasciae. Bundle of rods tied together. And on top of the fasciae, you have this funny little hat, which was the Jacobean hat. And that's what it looked like. There's a better representation of also known as the Phrygian cap, once worn in ancient Rome by emancipated slaves as a mark of their freedom and adopted in the revolution as the red cap of liberty. Well, that's what they tell you. That's for the Goyim. Let me tell you what it really is. There it is. This is the god Mitra. And there he is slaughtering the bull. And he's using a dog, a snake, and a scorpion, which has got part, hold of the more delicate parts of this bull, and he's destroying him with unclean animals. This is a war against Christ. Now let's have a look on the side. What does the hat look like? It's the Phrygian hat. So this is Mitraism. And Catholicism is Mitraism. Mitraism was the religion of Persia, it was the religion of Rome, and it is the religion of the Roman Catholic Church. There are seven grades in Mitraism. The highest grade is called Father. And then you've got a congregation. Now, who in the Catholic Church has a congregation and is called Father? The priest, right? And he could be a member of various groups, and so can Catholic priests. They can be whatever. They can be Jesuits. They can be um, Franciscans. They can be Dominicans. They can be members of various other orders as well. So Cyrus the Great was the first one to bring out the Human Rights Charter, now the mortal wound, as we had discussed it in Revelation chapter 11, just to refresh your memory, 21 February 1798, Pope Pius is dethroned by Napoleon. His ring was torn from his finger and he died in exile. Now think about this. If Napoleon was a Freemason, then he was under control of who? Of the Jesuit order. So who sent Napoleon to Rome to take the Pope captive. The Jesuit order. Why? Well, I've thought about this a lot. Within the Roman Catholic Church, there are numerous orders and there has not always existed perfect harmony. In fact, the Jesuit order slowly, slowly took control of all the orders. The Knights of Malta, for example, did not lightly give up their power seats but are now subject to the Jesuits. The Dominicans were at loggerheads with the Jesuits. For example, the papacy took the Inquisition away from the Jesuits and gave it to the Dominicans, which created tremendous tension. And in the French Revolution, it was the Dominican order that was destroyed there, not the Jesuits. They controlled the issue. So there were some issues within the church itself that also had to be sorted out to get complete control of the situation. 
It was even so that at the Council of Trent, many a Roman Catholic stood up and said, the word and the word alone. Don't think that everything in the Catholic Church has always been negative towards the word. No. And Martin Luther must have made an impact as well. And so there were many that weren't in line. So the church itself needed a purging. And then there was another problem. And this problem was this, that the Reformation had fingered Rome as the Antichrist. Now if the Reformation fingers Rome as the Antichrist, any move that seems to emanate from Rome will be looked at with what? Suspicion. So why not destroy the papacy, apparently, and then resurrect it, with, and at the same time purge it of everything that is contra, and then resurrect it as a final power in complete control of these organizations. Does that make any sense? That would be a neat trick. And then anything that happens thereafter with the weak little papacy over there would be disregarded. It cannot be from them. It must come from elsewhere. That is how secret societies work. They walk behind fronts, behind fronts, behind fronts. So let's see what happens. By 1804, uh, Pius watches Napoleon crown himself emperor. Napoleon then takes the Vatican State. So Rome is diminishing. By 1848, Massini attacks Rome and uh, Pope is exiled. Papal states are gone. So this power is gone. The Protestants literally relax, basically. Dangerous thing to do. Berthier takes the Pope captive. Weishaupt and his fellow Jesuits cut off the income to the Vatican by launching and leading the French Revolution by directing Napoleon's conquests of the Catholic Europe, and by eventually having Napoleon throw Pope Pius VII in jail at Avignon. Until he agreed, note, as the price of his release to re-establish the Jesuit order. It had been banned, even in the Catholic Church. Imagine that. So that worked underground. This Jesuit war, or maybe it had been banned purposefully to make it seem as if there was a war. You never know, because these people are superb liars. But this is history, this is what happened. This Jesuit war in the Vatican was terminated by the Congress of Vienna and by the secret 1822 Treaty of Verona. There's the quote. Everything I say has got a quote. I'm not making anything up. After Pope Pius was released from Napoleon's prison, he formally restored the Jesuit order with a papal bull. Now that is the strongest worded statement that a Pope can bring forth. In 1814, and the Pope added in this bull, if any should again attempt to abolish it, the Society of Jesus, he would incur the indignation of Almighty God and of the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul. So this could have been a ruse, it could have been a game, it could have been real, whatever the situation is, we will never really know until the curtain is removed one day, but religious freedom for all. And uh, revolutionaries take to the streets and do what they feel they have to do. Joseph Bonaparte, here he is, 1768-1844, King of Spain, and he was Grand Master, Grand Orient in France. 
So here you have all the Masonic connections. This comes from the Masonic book, Masonic sources. Napoleon, himself a high Freemason, is now waging war in the whole of Europe, cleaning up the monarchy, and then he has a war with England. Now who controls England by this stage? The Freemasons. So we have a battle of Waterloo. And these are the generals that fought on the two sides. Michel Ney and E. von Crouchy, they are on the side of Napoleon. High Freemason, High Freemason, Napoleon, High Freemason. On the other side, you have General Blücher. Those who are German will know a statement that goes, Randy Blücher and der Katzbach. Means, you know, General Blücher at the River Katzbach, he gave Napoleon blazes. High Freemason. And G. von Schnarrenhorst, High Freemason. They were all Freemasons. So this war, was it really a war? Or was it a planned war? Now, who are the orchestrators of the First World War? Well, there he is. Kaiser Wilhelm I, what has he got on? This comes from a Masonic book. He's got his Masonic apron on. He's a High Freemason. That's what he was. Here is Kaiser Friedrich der Große. Here he is with his Freemason regalia from a Freemason book. They're proud that these kings were all Freemasons. So the whole war situation is being planned by Freemasons who are being run by who? By the Jesuits. Now let's have a look at America quickly. Here is this grand building, the Capitol. There is the foundation stone, and it says, laid Masonically, September 17, 1932. Okay, so by that time, America was ruled by Freemasonry. Of course, the people are totally unaware. The institutions continue as before, but they are all being infiltrated. If you look at the, the uh, architecture, the eagles, the symbolism, what you have is sun worship. You have Mitraism displayed here. The street plan of Washington is Masonic. You have the upside-down goat of Mendes in the street plan. Then you have the compass and the set square, and everything is in blocks of 13, and the Masonic temples on the 13th street, etc. The whole street plan of Washington is Masonically laid. So it's dedicated to Lucifer. Of course, the people are unaware of this. The White House is then built with this tremendous stella over there, the height of which is 555 feet. Not 666, that sounds to someone higher in Rome. This is 555. And uh, isn't it interesting that 555 is the number that Hollywood uses? Have you ever heard when they say, what's the telephone number on any TV program or any one of those? Oh, it's 555, blah, 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 blah. Have you heard of that? It's dedicated to Hollywood. By the way, in Hollywood, 
Hollywood is the wood they use to make a witch's staff. So it's dedicated to Lucifer's witchcraft. But that's just besides the point. So here is the stellar list. Who laid these foundations? The Freemasons. So let's ask them what it means. Here is the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. You're going to get a better source from that. Obelisks were originally erected in honor of the sun god. The connection comes from the Egyptian worship of the phallus. So there stands the male whatever in uh, the White House. So we don't have to go. It's dedicated to Osiris and to Isis. And uh, anyway, that is the structure over there. The military structure is a pentagon, which is the high center of the pentagram into which, for example, 13 witches would step in order, 12 around one, in order to propagate the curse. So this is also a witchcraft structure. So it's just a building, but it has certain connotations. Then France, the one that has this new philosophy for a new world, sends a gift to the United States, the Statue of Liberty. So let's ask UNESCO what it means. UNESCO says the seven rays emanating from Mitra's halo, there's the god Mitra, uh, symbolize the triumph of the forces uh, over the forces of darkness. Now, <laughs> you must understand that Lucifer says that Michael and his angels represent the forces of darkness, that Yahweh is the devil. Isn't that terrible? Remember that? We did that. And here, UNESCO tells us that the head of the Statue of Liberty is adorned with Mitra's seven rays. The flame she holds is a sun symbol. So this is the torch of Lucifer. Because it doesn't matter whether Lucifer is male or female, he's androgenic in uh, his story. Here is the foundation stone. At this site, on August 5, 1884, the cornerstone of the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty enlightening the world, that illumination, was laid with ceremony by William so-and-so, Grand Master of Masons. And there's the Masonic sign. So the Statue of Liberty is Masonic. Everything will appear to be Masonic as we continue. Text Mars, right? towering above the shimmering but polluted waters she holds in her outstretched arm and her hand the torch of fire and light the gift of the Masonic order the modern inheritors of the Illuminati heritage of the Statue of Liberty was sculptured by Frederick Bartholdi, a member of the Masonic Lodge of Alsace-Lorraine in Paris, France 
The statue is significant to the secret societies plotting the New World Order. There you go. Right, by 1854, Pius declared the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary. Now, Mary is being, she's always been there in Roman Catholicism, but now Mary is being placed into the very center and legitimized as the mother of God and as an entity in heaven. In 1869, Pius summons the first Vatican Council, and in 1870, the dogma of papal infallibility is published. Now we have another God on earth. And ultramontanism triumphs, the Jesuits see to it that all power is concentrated in one man. What happens then? By 1917, the Russian Revolution. And you had this interesting Fatima message. There's a link with Islam there, but never mind, we'll come to that in the next lecture. Russia will be converted, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me. And then there was a vision of hell, and the third vision was that the present Pope would have an assassination attack, which happened. Now, it's not too difficult, if you've planned all these things from the beginning, to say what will happen. You see? Not too difficult. 1934. In Yugoslavia, an organization called the Ustashi is formed. What a disgusting organization. Founded and they assassinate King Alexander of Yugoslavia. Now the Ustashi is a military organization with basically Nazi features and they slaughtered the Serbs. They slaughtered the Orthodox people and forced them to become Catholic or to die. One of the two. And nothing is ever said about this tremendous slaughter that took place over here. 
Freemasonry. And there is the Pope. Well, Patelli visited uh, the United States and conversed with this man, President F.D. Roosevelt. Now, this is a large picture with, which should never probably have been released, and they're probably very upset that it has been released, but it shows Roosevelt in his full Masonic regalia. And there it shows him with his fares on his head, and he's receiving a Masonic handshake. Note the Masonic handshake. And uh, interesting fares, we will come to that in the next lecture, what that all symbolizes, why they are wearing fares. And uh, he appoints Myron Taylor as special envoy to the Vatican. Now, let's have a look at the Freemason political leaders in the United States. And I'm just quoting from various sources and web pages. There will be different ones here, so you can check it out for yourself to show you just who's control at the moment. We'll just run through them quickly and see what degrees they are. Bill Clinton, 33 degrees. Newt Gingrich, 33 degrees. Bob Dole, 33 degrees. Jack Kemp, 33 degrees. Storm Thurman, 33 degrees. Colin Powell, 33 degrees. Jesse Helms, 33 degrees. Barry Goldwater, 33 degrees. Al Gore, probably 33 degrees. Then uh, another one over here, another one, James Monroe, Andrew Johnson, James Garfield, McKinley, Roosevelt, of course, William Taft, Franklin Roosevelt, Harding, Lyndon Johnson, Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, oh, all of them, Yitzhak Rabin, Yasser Arafat, Prince Philip, Duke of Kent, many others. Here's another source. Saddam Hussein, that's interesting, we'll have to come to him, 33 degree Freemason. Tony Blair, 33 degree, Gerard Schroeder. Prime Minister of Germany, if you like, President, 33 degrees. Benjamin Netanyahu, 33. Yasser Arafat, 33 degrees. Ronald Reagan, Gorbachev, Helmut Kohl, Shimon Peres. Helmut Kohl is also a committee of 300. Francois Mitterrand, 33, was Grand Orient Lodge, of course. Zitzak Sabin, Willy Brandt. All of these old ones were Freemasons. Some more. Joseph Stalin. He was Illuminati, he was a member of the Grand Orient Lodge. Leon Trotsky, Grand Orient Lodge. Kissinger is a member of Committee of 300. J. Edgar Hoover, 33. Cecil John Rhodes, Alistair Crowley. Walt Disney was a 33 degree Freemason. Olive Palm, Al Gore, Tony Blair, Joseph Mengele. That's interesting. That's the mass murderer of the Nazi. He was Illuminati. Robert McNamara. You name it, they're all there. Billy Graham. Oops, sorry, let's move on. Colonel John Glenn, Buzz Aldrin, everyone who's ever been up in space has to be a Freemason of the highest degree. Edgar Mitchell, uh, all the way through, Francis Bacon, Lord David Owen, all the negotiators, Richard Halbrook. I'm just running through some of them. Alan Greenspan, Peter Wallenberger, Queen Elizabeth is the Queen of the Bilderbergers. Prince Philip, Queen Beatrix, she's the Committee of 300. Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, Committee of 300. And so we go on and on and on and on. Ted Kennedy, Rockefeller, David Rockefeller, Ting Hui, Baron von Rothschild, Hillary Clinton is six grand dames. She's a very high Freemason. Albert Pike, of course, you know, Bertrand Russell, Otto von Habsburg, Weishaupt, all the way back. Here is Edgar Hoover, President Dwight D. Eisenhower. They honor him with the 33 Grand Cross at the Special White House Ceremony. They're not ashamed of any of this. Here are just about all the presidents of the United States in the presidential gallery of the lodge. I photographed this myself. I went into the lodge. 
I went into the presidential gallery, I photographed each one of these. And then... Me? Not me. Anyway, there they all are as Freemasons. If we look at the American dollar, some very interesting things happened under the time of Roosevelt. There is this symbol on the dollar, there's that symbol. We haven't got time for all of this. In God we trust, one. Uh, if you look at this symbol over here, it says, I knew it cut this novus ordus seclorum. If you intercalate the hexagram, then you'll have this A-S-N-O-M, which is the scrambling of Mason, Mason. If you go to the other side, it points to objects, and it then reads Arto, you have Arlington. Ah, there's too much there to talk about, and uh, many interesting things. If you go to the one, and you go to the half moon, there's a little structure over there. Can you see it? It's a micro dot. You'll have to get a magnifying glass and look at it under a magnifying glass, and you'll see it's a little owl. A little owl. Owl in a half moon. And this over here, you'll see is the spider's web. There's a lot of symbolism over here. Now, if you go to the ancient coins, you'll see that the deities were associated with the owl. And you will see that when we went to the Bohemian Grove, what did they worship there? The great owl of Bohemia. And you saw the presidents of the United States bow down to the owl of Bohemia. Quite a scary business. Now, looking at this symbol... You have the all-seeing eye of Lucifer. It is not yet on the base of the triangle. When it is placed on, he will have his kingdom. But that is Lewis, Lucifer, Anuit Coptus, he God, Novus Orbis Seclorum, New Order of the Ages. There are 13 levels over there. The bottom one is the date of the founding of the, the independence of the United States, but it is also the founding of the Illuminati. You have the spider's web, symbol of the new age. You have uh, over here the band, the ribbon of Lucifer. We'll see it over here in the Roman Catholic Church where you have Anubis, the phoenix, symbol of Jupiter, the god Jupiter, and the skull and crossbones, and there you have the ribbon. You see it? associated with Jupiter. That's on the flame. And all of these symbols tell us one interesting story. On the other side, you have this symbol. There are nine feathers. There are 13 spears. There are 13 leaves. There are 13 pentagrams shaped in the form of a hexagram. You have the eagle. You have this statement over here, unum, out of many one. We're going to reunite all nations. So that's the symbolism of a new world order on the dollar. The world is going to be united under one central government. And that government is going to be in control of Lucifer, not Jesus Christ. Although Jesus Christ, of course, knows about it, permits it, and is ultimately in control. He tells us ahead of time that this is going to happen. And then the end of the story is that Jesus will reign on this planet. If we look at the architecture even, it is interesting. That is St. Peter's. That is the Capitol building. The architecture is identical. Of course, the building itself was designed, the American one, by Freemasonry. And Freemasonry is in control by whom? 
the Jesuit order. Now let's have a look at some of the symbolism over there and some of the interesting issues. We are now ready for the Second World War and the three main role players of the Allies are this man over here, Winston Churchill, and he was a what? 33 degree Freemason. We saw Roosevelt in his full Masonic regalia. He was a 32 or 33 degree Freemason. And then we have Stalin, who was, of course, Grand Orient member, so 33 degree Freemason. They're all on one side. Extract from a report by Ambassador Harriman in Moscow to the State Department, June 30, 1944. Stalin paid tribute to the assistance rendered by the United States to Soviet industry before and during the war. He said that about two-thirds of all the large industrial enterprises in the Soviet Union had been built with United States help or technical assistance. The other third had been Britain. So who built the, United, uh, the USSR? Who built it? The West. The West financed it and built it. Here you can see Winston Churchill in his Drood Masonic Lodge with all his Drood fellows around him. So these are genuine uh, facts. This isn't just conjecture. Do you remember Pearl Harbor? Well, fortunately, the 50 years of Secrecy Act are, for, are passed, and so now we know for a fact, because this has been revealed, that they knew that Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked. Is that correct? And they chose not to do anything about it. Why?
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.